joining the DM Peter Gorski. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm just thinking about how much I love Game Club and how much it means to me. And our other host, a brother, an older brother, in fact, to the DM, Mark Gorski. How are you? Doing good. Uh, it's been a fun week. Oh, and, you know, Summer Games Fest. You know, we've had a, a lot of reasons to be thinking about games. And let me tell you, I've been thinking about games recently. I completely agree. I, I feel like every, like, two to three months, we have the one episode where it's like, you know what? Games are great. Video games, games are cool. Video games heart. Uh, video games Emoji are cool with type the sunglasses. of shit. But uh, th- there, there is some seriousness behind the statement of, like, uh, I was I was thinking leading up to today, like, fuck yeah, like I I am ready to talk some video games on Wednesday our recording day. Um, we are coming off of Summer Games Fest, the Xbox Showcase, and among other showcases, some random ones, Ubisoft, Capcom, and it's not E three, it's not, but. I, I think overall this has been a relatively positive season. We're going to get more into it later on in this episode. But um, in general, pretty positive. And I, I was actually, I was telling my girlfriend about this. Like, saying out loud how we used to handle E3, we've said it plenty of times on the pod before, but like, hanging out all weekend watching E3 stuff, when you say that out loud, it's almost like, a tear jerking thing of like, wow, that was so fun. And I'll just never happen again. Isn't that you guys sad? would stay over at my place during the weekend. We'd stay the night and we'd wake up to like, all right guys, here's our schedule. We can get a luncheon during this. We'll come back for this time. And I'm just, again, the fact that we got to have that, those are memories. I will always look back on for the rest of my life. Um, e- even my girlfriend who doesn't really have a point of reference for any of this stuff or, what it actually means like hearing me say it was just like yeah no that sounds like super fun uh, that that type of excuse of being a kid and just having a reason to like spend the whole weekend together good times um uh, we, we were able to not recreate it really but hang out for some of it at least me and peter were um but we change the format of this show. This show that comes out every other Wednesday, bi-weekly. We I have been doing what we've been playing first lately. And I'm just going to kind of go through the rundown here. So we're going to do what we've been playing. And then we are going to do 10 minutes. 10 minutes on XCOM 2. Uh, if you want to skip that 10 minutes, skip ahead. I'll try and remember a time code for it. Um totally fine if you don't want to hear XCOM talk and then it's going to be Summer Games Fest, it's going to be Xbox, it's going to be the games that got us excited, a little bit of reviewing the shows to whatever extent we can and then we're going to call it an episode so let's get into what we've been playing Mark, I feel like we don't typically begin with you, so let's begin with you this time okay, well Got a lot to talk about. I'm, I'm going to keep it short to the bigger things I've played because I feel like it's been... There's a lot that has gone down since the last time we've recorded. And I think the first thing to talk about is I have rolled credits on Tears of the Kingdom. It's done. 
I'm guessing you haven't finished yet, Owen. I have not. Um, I would say I am 65% of the way through of what I, of where I want to be by the time I finish it. I'm, I've played about 35 hours. Um, I am two and three quarters temples through the game. Um, I still have a lot of the map to explore. I'm definitely slowing down on it, but I mean, there, there's no question that I'll beat the game. It just, mm-hmm. it can, there are moments where it feels intimidating. I know that your hours completely dwarf mine overall, but um, I'm interested to hear some of your general thoughts on the end. Um, So the ending, unfortunately, did not change my opinions on it and i i feel a little sour on it where i where this game like amazing would. super fun game still that 10 out of 10 5 out of 5 however you want to look at it it's that kind of game it is very fun the gameplay loop and exploring the world is fun but there's just something in the heart missing that just makes me feel a this, this doesn't really feel like a zelda game i want and a big part of that is because i just flat out think the story is just terrible in this game I I just could not get into the story. A lot of the characters are a whole lot of nothing this time around. Where I, even in the first one, I feel like the characters were interesting enough to get to know and see what our Link and our Zelda and just the state of the world is. And if you've played Breath of the Wild, it's just like everyone is like pretty much the same, minus a few people. And And no one really has that much depth beyond that caricature personality that they are. Some cutscenes are replayed multiple times and it's so annoying when it's like, I can't believe they're showing me the same cutscene again when I do a very specific thing. Um, the the one thing I will say to like off lift this like negativity is that the final boss I think is the best final boss in the series. <laughs> in I, I've, I've heard... Uh, not, uh, don't don't give any allusions to how it goes down. Of but I, I I have heard that the ending sequences are quite impressive. Yes, I I had a lot of fun doing it. I thought uh, the boss fights are like, oh my god, this is really cool. I can't think of a time. I can't. I can compare this to every other final boss, and I think this is just objectively the coolest. Um, but narratively, even. Even though I say that narratively, it still falls flat pretty hard. Uh, I, I I was pretty disappointed by a lot of certain things, and a lot of the things I was super high on early on just kind of fizzled out because the narrative. There are certain narrative parts, like for example, the underground. I thought the underground is so cool, and exploring the underground is, I think, objectively very cool. It is very scary down there, and lighting it up is a whole process and very fun to do, but. I was very into the idea of like, okay, I can't wait to explore down there and see what kind of old Zoni stuff is down there and see if there's like an uh, is a civilization of sort or abandoned towns down there that will maybe give me some sort of crumb of, of lore here at the very least. And no, not really. It's just so happens like, oh, if there is a town above, there's an abandoned mine version of that underground. And I'm like, okay, well, that's... That's kind of boring in that sense. I I know where all this is going to be. But the nail in the coffin was like, okay, 
for story reasons. I, it could make sense that underneath all the main towns, there's an abandoned mine there because there was these civilizations there generations ago. But then I found old abandoned Terrytown mine, and I was furious. I'm like, there, there's no consistency here. The Terrytown didn't exist until like five years ago. Why did the zone I have a, mar- a location called ancient abandoned Terrytown mine? Terrytown did not exist 10,000 years ago. And I rolled my eyes and I said, this is no. The, the world here just isn't meant to be uh, explored this deeply, you know? We're not looking for clues, even though they set up this ancient society. So, I want to let you get more of your thoughts on but oh, we, we have to go deep yet, yet again on Tears of the Kingdom, at least a little bit, because maybe it's because you planted it in my mind last episode. But this game is not an automatic game of the year winner in my book. I think it's a automatic contender for oh, sure. Oh, of course, of course. And it's not an Elden Ring Breath of the Wild uh, sweep in my opinion. I I, I feel really like don't think it is. It it might grow tired if we we preface it this way every time, but I feel like we have to of like it is better than like 99.9% of games. It is. But we played Breath of the Wild before and this is overall like the experience of playing it is a great improvement of like gameplay systems and uh things to do in the world it is a vast improvement i think but uh i texted you this separately mark and you kind of alluded to this last episode i i I'm on my third temple. I'm on the fire temple. I did wind and water. The wind and water temples fucking suck. They, there is nothing impressive about them. There's nothing even remotely difficult about them. And I'm not saying that difficulty is everything. It matters to me though. If you're going to build this like big puzzle dungeon, the fire temple is the first time that I have come across something. And I thought, you know, I, I got to circle back to this. Like, I, I don't just know the solution immediately. Um, and that is not because I'm good at these games. It's because the wind and water temples were easy. They were just flat out easy. Um, and then on top of that, it didn't get rid of enough of the Breath of the Wild annoyances. And it even added some of its own on top of it. So, I I have alluded before to the fact that I think the fuse mechanic actually makes the weapon degradation worse. Because you can't just find a good weapon anymore. You have to find a good weapon uh, and a good material in order to have a weapon that would be considered good. So, like, if you find a 20 sword in this game, it's like, wow, I struck gold because you're not finding that anywhere and then you also have to find some item to combine it with to have anything that is even kind of an impressive weapon and then after all of that work it will break what feels like is faster to me than the last game it probably isn't in reality but it feels faster because i just put so much effort into my weapon um when you put a material on an arrow I think this is a great mechanic. 
when you are scrolling through every fucking material that you own, it's a little frustrating. It can take like a full minute to find the material you're trying to put on your arrow. And there just simply has to be a better answer than that. Do you use, or do you use like the different tabs on there where you can swap it to like the ones you use the most and it just shows you those? I do. I do. But, um, it's the type of thing that like, it's not, it's not always consistent. Like sometimes I need to be going back and forth to the different tabs and, even that I think is too much. I, I really just think you should be able to like pre-craft some of these arrows and mm-hmm. then uh, switch to it from there. Um, I think that's an annoyance. I also, I agree with you with two, on two more elements. Now, I'm not really that much of a fan of the Breath of the Wild story or really any Zelda story for that matter. I think Zelda stories have from what I know of them and from what I've played, they have moments of brilliance, but are very often like pretty, I don't know, down the middle. Like they're not doing anything too interesting. You're not meeting the most interesting characters ever, but you said last uh, episode, princess Zelda, not doing anything cool. And I couldn't agree more. I I have zero interest in whatever Princess Zelda's doing. I'm guessing you haven't done all of the memories yet. Oh no, not not even close. Okay. If Should you're looking for any sort of crumb of story, that's going to be your best pet is doing but, all of that eventually. Sh- like I plan to but should I be looking for it? Should I be looking for the crumbs because I don't know. I mean, they they just don't seem to offer that much. And as I said, like I never thought the Breath of the Wild story was very good. In fact, my main takeaway from that game was that the story was bad. But mm. there's at least interesting things to it. Um, I I often talk about how like it's a somewhat interesting story because like they lost, so there's mm-hmm. like that little bit of emotion behind everything. Um, you often talk about how you think Zelda was doing cool things in Breath of the Wild. And when you point them out, I can appreciate them more. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. There's something tonally inconsistent in this game. Breath of the Wild like- has had such a consistent tone. And this game just like it tries to have the same Breath of the Wild tone. But for some reason, it just doesn't. Like... The thing with Breath of the Wild is that it had such strong atmosphere of being let loose into this world you don't know anything about that a hundred years ago there was a calamity and while you're not just while you're exploring this world and seeing what has happened, how are the people surviving in this like post calamity world, you're given like the small memories, which are just screenshots of places you need to visit in this world, and then you get a memory of what this place was like a hundred years before. And you get to see the screenshots or just the the shots of just when uh when link was around 100 years ago the people he knew the stuff that was going on because there's a storyline contained in there and on top of that uh depending on what area you go to people just directly remember you like the zora lived so long that a lot of the people that were growing up with links are just adults in zora's domain so going there the first time like the first time was very cool and everyone's like oh my god it's link he's 
he's here. It's been a hundred years. How you been? But then everywhere else, nobody knows you because everyone else who Link grew up with is just dead. All the people of that time are gone, except in Sora's domain, where he's just family over there. <laughs> and it's just the small things like that. Like, that's being introduced to that world and, like, really added to getting to climb and learn all these things. But where Tears of the Kingdom sets it up for you can discover everything in the sky islands and see all the terrible things underground but like a the sky islands are not that fun to explore in my opinion like finding out how to get there like tinkering your way up to the islands is cool and then the rewards you get anywhere in tears of the kingdom just aren't very cool and i'm i'm gonna say this much if you don't like it's been out long enough that i feel fine saying this it's not like a major spoiler but a lot of the cool items that are hidden around are like like armor pieces that are homages to past Zelda games and some people think that's really cool but I don't think it's the most interesting thing to find because A it's the timeline person in me hates that these are just trinkets like these things can't be here amid this helmet I shouldn't be able to find this here next, and I shouldn't be able to swatch Majora's Mask this is ridiculous but the thing that bothers me the most about this is that this was all content that was DLC. This is these are all items that were in the DLC of Breath of the Wild, and it's cool that they're just in a base game, I guess. But it's like, oh, once I like got the second or third one, it's like I already know what all of these items are going to be. I don't know if they're going to be adding more on top of what was in the first game. But if this is the cool secret items that I'm looking for throughout the world, I I'm a bit disappointed because I know what they all are already. I think there are a couple others that they've added. Like I think there's a Link's Awakening one. I don't know what that one really does. I don't think that was in Breath of the Wild. But that was that was really disappointing and kind of killed exploring for me to an extent. I agree, Mark. I really think you're always right, and I kind of <laughs> think we should. <laughs> I'm thinking we should kiss. No, I. I I that can't be natural. I my I had a tech issue and we're cutting back in and Peter made that joke. But um I do agree with you on what I'm not a timeline guy, but I agree with the fact that the fact that it exists should mean that they respect it. Mhm. Um like it's not something they've really ever done before and now they're just like we're just really getting past all of the past and all of these are cool little easter eggs haha you remember this tunic that he wore uh you remember this one too oh do you remember this item haha everything's here these are all little fun nods and every now and then that would be cool but like when i found the first one the first of these items i had found was a bow from a past Zelda game. And I did not know this one was DLC for Breath of the Wild. And I thought, holy shit. Because I was also in a very cool spot for this item to be and had my like the gears going in my head. Like, oh my God, this is pretty cool. And then somewhere else I find, you found the cap from Wind Waker. And I'm like, oh, well, cool. I think I understand what's happening now. And I was right. It was just a bunch of stuff that you get from DLC or Amiibo. In the first game, and just took me out of it. I um, I haven't been shown that this is more than like a really great 
Breath of the Wild DLC. And that sounds insulting, but I just don't think it has separated itself enough. And I wish I had the other opinion, but I I don't know when that other opinion would would form at this point because I've played a lot of this game and I love, I do love a lot about it, but I do like my sequels having like some, some sort of defining thing that makes it different or have the world feel different in some way. I, mm-hmm. I don't like feeling like I'm doing different things in the exact same place. And I do feel that way. Did, did you ever get to the point where you truly felt like it separated itself? I mean, like, I honestly do feel like it is a standalone experience from, uh, it's, like, the first no, one. I'm, I don't in any way want to imply that, like, you know how Spider-Man Miles Morales is, is another game, but it's, like, also just, like, kind of a DLC at the same time. It's just mm-hmm. a big DLC. Mm-hmm. You like would never lost legacy kind of one point five. Yeah, this is like a one point nine. Um, where it is one hundred percent a standalone experience, but it just doesn't separate itself to make it feel like it's really an experience that I haven't had before. And I think that's the main reason why. I don't want this just being penciled in as like every single game of the year winner because we we had the shock moment with Breath of the Wild and we had a smaller shock moment when it comes to some of the functionality of Ultra Hand in Tears of the Kingdom. I think Ultra Hand's incredible. It's it's unbelievable what they're able to achieve. But it's a smaller shock factor than the entirety of the experience of Breath of the Wild. Can you agree with that? Mm, maybe uh, not like, 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 I do and I don't. Or I do in the sense that I really don't feel like this is, like, the sequel that I wanted to Breath of the Wild, but at the same time, like, just mechanically, like, there is a sequel in that. Like, like, when it, the times I'm having the most fun and where I'm where I'm nodding my head and agreeing with everybody about how great this game is is when I'm doing things that is not on the main path. Of this game, if I'm just dicking around with a vehicle, ultra hand, collecting things for fusion, and doing a whole bunch of side quests, that is when Tears of the Kingdom is very very fun. But when I'm doing the main story stuff, I'm not having fun in this game, and there is. Uh, one dungeon I definitely think was very cool. One of them was fine. Uh, and the other two, like you were saying, the wind and the water temple are so very forgettable. Like the path to the dungeons was significantly more memorable than the actual dungeons themselves. Especially for wind. There are some memorable things about the, the water dungeon, but um, I like the way to get there. But mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed the wind much more, honestly. I um, think... I think it liked water more, probably. I know one of the things you probably, I'm guessing you've beaten all the bosses so far from those two dungeons, like very quickly. Like maybe you spent five minutes with each of them because they're so easy. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Especially when, water. Yeah. Water, especially. Oh my God. 
water I was too ready for. I brought in a scepter with an opal tied to it. And where there's just a whole lot of uh, the grime that's on the ground that you kind of have to deal with. Just one swing of the scepter just cleared everything. And I would just walk up to the boss and kill it every single time. But the point I was trying to make here is that in the Wind Temple, uh, for the soundtrack of Tears of the Kingdom, easily by a landslide, the most popular song in this game, New Edition, is the theme for the third phase of the Wind Temple. Uh, and I was blown away to hear that because I'm like, why this song didn't stand out at all. But a lot of people, I say a lot of people, me, probably you, you just beat that boss so quickly, you don't get to the part of the song where it picks up. Because especially because it's like a third phase, which is like during damage phase of the second phase, like the, this specific version of the song people are going off about it and it's like i never stood a chance of hearing the song mm -hmm. because this fight was over in two seconds all the bosses minus the lightning temple all the bosses you can take them out so easily that it's just it's, it's all it's in a way a little bit it's, it's a little bit more underwhelming than breath of the wild dungeons almost where those boss fights i think i can still like they, I did not beat any of them in as much time as it took me to like well, some of the bosses in this game. And um, I'm not quite ready to say whether – I'm not ready to make a ruling on the Fire Temple yet because that's where I'm at currently. But I think the Divine Beasts have been like clearly better than what I've experienced of the Temple so far. Okay. Um, I, I would feel differently about Fire Temple just because I thought it was really pretty. And yeah, the fire no, temple, I, very nice I think I think the fire temple is really cool, which is why I'm I'm withholding judgment. I think I think it's at the very least on par with the divine mm -hmm. beast. But like, I was in agreement of thinking that temples were cooler than the divine beast, but now we got we got the temples, and I I c can't agree with that anymore because mm -hmm. it's like, well, these yeah. temples kind of suck. When I remember early on when I gave my first opinion and like I was kind of up on the temples, that was because I had only done the fire temple. And I was like, oh, if this is what all of them are going to be like, this isn't terrible. They were not all like that, unfortunately. Um, so. Now, that, that being said, you already uh, alluded to this. I do think it is a clear step up in basically everything within the world and a major step up with shrines major i am mm -hmm. having so much fun with the shrines in this game uh i actually find them to be like consistently engaging puzzles and i love how they have shaken up the combat ones where like i'm not bringing my own items in i have to figure out how to survive with what oh, they yeah. give me i think it's great i really I, think it's great i I do adore those. I love that they kind of took the Eventide Island and just like, what if we set a bunch of these in the first one? Super, super cool. Um, the, the I feel weird for this one. This is taking my this this one opinion of mine where people are praising this game because it's like, oh my god, there are dozens of solutions to every puzzle, and people love it so much. But I thought it was fun for the first like. 20 hours and just like okay this is this is cool i've already got like a pocket full of solutions where like if i don't immediately see the main solution i'll go to my usual like th three backup solutions that i have like predetermined like auto build stuff that i've got i'm interjecting uh-huh 
You are allowing your massive issue with it ignoring Zelda, the Zelda timeline. If it did adhere to the Zelda timeline, you would not be as negative as you were. You would oh, be so much not. more forgiving for all these other aspects of the game. And I just think you are, as someone who's never going to play the game and does not give a shit about Tears of the Kingdom, I think you are being unfair to all these other aspects of the game because you are letting your immense negativity towards this one aspect of it completely drown all the other aspects of this game. I, I mean, I can't. I I hope that a future Zelda game, I don't think I'm going to get this, but I well, hope moving forward where it is this super open-ended puzzle design, it's like, this is cool and this is fun, but like maybe not as fun in a game you put 130 hours in and after a while you just have done so much of it. Breath of the Wild wasn't this way. Like you could kind of be like that in Breath of the Wild like you could, you could solve things in a really untraditional way not every puzzle could be for starters and also if you were kind of breaking it you were jumping through some hoops to make it work like some of the electricity puzzles in Breath of the Wild if you're cheating quote unquote cheating if you're like dropping a bunch of metal items from your pocket to like make your own paths of like conducting electricity that's just a very cool way around it and that's just what they embraced here I love watching like content of people doing crazy stuff with the Zonai devices, but I've already said my piece in past episodes is just like, I like building stuff, but I feel punished for experimenting a lot of the time, so why do I even bother? Uh, and that got better later on in the game, but even then, I feel like my creativity was kind of dwindled at that point of just hours, <laughs> hours lost of just trying to, to do fun things with it. I don't know. Uh, I, I ultimately great time with the game, but as a big Zelda fan, was disappointed in very specific ways. And I could say, in my uh, favorite Zeldas of all time, and ranking them, Tears of the Kingdom is sitting at number five, fifth favorite Zelda. Which I've only had negative things to say, but I promise you, I still really like this game. I still think it is a ten out of ten game. I do think it's a game of the year contender. And the only reason I don't think it is like a clear winner is because I think after some summer games fest stuff, I think it's got a really big competitor coming up, but we'll talk about that later. So, uh, apologies if, if listeners might've just heard my keyboard connect to my laptop. Unfortunately, those noises come through, but, um, I my my last Tears of the Kingdom comments for now, and I I think from this point on, now that you beat it, uh, the next time I share any sort of big opinion will be when I beat it, uh, which I doubt will be in two weeks, but I guess it could be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's complicated. That that that's what I'm coming down to. It's complicated. It's it's a game I love. It's a game that I do not think is perfect like it is being talked about. Um, to go off of what you mean about how it can almost get like a little tiring, the fact that there's like 20 different solutions to everything, like you can just make it up all the time. I understand that because they have to play with a push and pull here where everyone always thinks that they want unlimited choices and unlimited possibilities, but 
in reality, sometimes things are better with limitations. And I literally just said an example of when it's better. When they do the combat things and they take away your items and you have to figure it out in there. That is a better experience than just having unlimited items uh, or bringing your own things in and, and being able to do whatever you want. And they need to find a balance between like, yeah, you can do a lot of stuff, but they need to make it so that like that one easy thing that you've been doing this whole time, that won't work in, in the majority of these. And I think the one easy thing is literally just lifting a thing up, putting it up to where you need to go and dropping it and then rewinding it. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it can solve like 90% of the puzzles it really can um or you can even just do the floating platforms uh that you have for zonai devices use one of those put it up as much as you can upheave like upheaval through it or an upheaval is not the name of the move actually that's the name of the calamity for the game i actually i Uh, I don't know what it's called ascend 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 is what it is Uh, you ascend through there and then you can just get another one of those platforms out rinse repeat and just get wherever you need to be if you have a bunch of those which after a certain while when you've got enough vending machines it is pretty easy to get a shit ton of every part that you could ever ask for because certain vending machines will only drop very specific ones if you point them out on your map it's like okay that's the one that literally only drops things for flying machines i'm just gonna sit there for a couple minutes everything i need it is not impossible for this to change for me i said this to peter the other day though so far of what I've played Tears of the Kingdom is my second favorite game of the year because I had significantly more fun in Resident Evil 4 remake. Okay. And I I I love I love Tears of the Kingdom. I really do and the next Zelda, I'll be there day one as well. But I I'm not ready to just hand this one the trophy despite its greatness. Mm-hmm. And I will also be majorly disappointed if the next Zelda is Breath of the Wild 3 in the way that this one is Breath of the Wild 2. Like, if we're back in the same Hyrule and we're just doing different things, I'll Mm -hmm. be majorly disappointed. I think the thing I know for sure at this point, I want from the next uh, Zelda game, because we know it's definitely going to be an open world game, I want them to take another crack at Wind Waker, a giant ocean we have to sail around and find a lot of actually sure. meaningful islands like that i think is the next cool approach here that'd be I'd awesome be down for that yeah i think it'd be very cool you also have the opportunity to throw us back in the timeline there if we just got a big ocean there was a timeline that had a really big ocean guys so go for it please i'm also an um, advocate for i don't think they'll ever go majora's mask again but get weird Please just get weird. I, I want the weirdest thing that the Zelda team could possibly think of. I One last thing, and we can move Guys, on. Guys, we have other shit we have to talk about. It's just a, the thing that teed me up here, and I've said it before in the past when talking about this game, is that one of the, I think one of the things that is just really nailed, drilled into my heart over a long period of time here is that Nintendo once planted the seed a long time ago that they couldn't reveal the title of this game because it no. was going to be a big spoiler. No, no, no. Like, again, hey, as if 
as a former big MCU fan, it was like, oh my god, they can't say the name of the fourth Avengers movie? It must be a huge spoiler. And it wasn't. It's a marketing tool. It's a marketing ploy. Companies have done it before. They're going to do it again. But they we said. All they stop taking them. No, they're not. The you're acting like they're our best friend who lied to us, stabbed us in the back. They are a company. It's fine that they did this. It's not a big deal. You are not personally lied to. I do not think it is that big a deal. They also they, they, they also can't reveal the name of the rumored Illumination ad, adaptation of Zelda either. Can't do it. But well, that hasn't been announced yet. They had announced Breath of the Wild, or Breath of the, they had announced the sequel and talked about it multiple times. And they when they showed the trailer, they said we're not ready to show you the name yet because it could spoil. Like I think there's a difference, like in some PR talk, like something outside of a direct announcement like that to be like oh well, we don't want to tell you this guys direct your marketing it's directly to people I think there's a difference of like having to cover your basis you know like you're getting asked this in some sort of side interview here but this is very the, the most forward facing news outlet that they went out of their way when they didn't have to say that I have and... to Mark I'm going to cut you off because just the 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 whole spoiler title thing we've we've gone through it so many times and that is you don't have to get over the fact that your timeline things weren't answered you don't have to get over that but you do have to get over the title that must happen i never um they teed me up this way and got me so excited that's you're the reason i like this for any anything they've ever done for revealing it, like any part of this game and any glimpse at it, that glimpse, that thing they said, has excited me more than any reveal along the way about this game. The fact that the title was going to be a spoiler. The fact, the idea that they really wanted to do something with this story here, because they don't do sequels either. So that this was a, a very new thing. It's like, oh my god, they really want to go big on this. And then the story just does not deliver here at all. It's just very disappointing. I, I, I you 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 can be disappointed by the totality of that, but not specifically the title. Uh, I I do. I need to give a shout out to something I heard on another podcast, just because it 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 was actually perfect. And and this is from Dustin on the Punching Up podcast, an Nintendo podcast, expressed with the Zelda Illumination rumors that his nightmare scenario is that Link pulls the Master Sword and Bohemian Rhapsody starts playing. (laughs) And, like, when I heard that, I was like, fuck, he's right. Fuck, that is, like, exact nightmare scenario, especially since Zelda is, like, it's a franchise we try to hold to a higher artistic standard. I really hope it doesn't get bogged down by, I don't know, illumination cringe humor but I, that that's an entirely different thing it's just a recent rumor uh mark let's move on have you been playing anything else i played some street fighter 6 i've been on that train for a little bit oh okay and i i'm a big fan of it as someone who has not really owned and played much street fighter at all uh, I've had a lot of fun playing online and playing the story mode. I put like 35 hours into the world tour mode, creating my character. Wow. Meticulously building my character. Because the character creator is going viral in this game, right? People are doing all sorts of crazy things with their characters and making some terrible monsters. 
And I thought, I don't want to make a monster. I want to make a champion. So I've been, I've done the best of my ability to recreate none other than Springman from Arms in Street Fighter Six, hoping at least one person will recognize my character. His name is Springman. He's got the blue pompadour. He's got his boxing gloves on, dressed the, as similarly as I can be. And I have him using the move set because you can put any character's move set on your character, your custom character. Uh, Dalson, who is a very stretchy person and stretches his limbs out of people. So, like, all the pieces are there. And I go in these lobbies trying to see if people will recognize me. It's cross-play. Everyone on any platform can fight me. and All eyes are on me. Not one person in my probably, like, 45 hours experience has recognized Springman. The biggest insult to injury here is while I'm in a lobby with my stretchy spring man trying to get people to recognize me, someone comes in dressed as Monkey D. Luffy with the exact same moveset, stretchy ass, and everyone's like, oh my god, this Luffy is so cool, I can't believe it. And I'm standing right there with my spring man thinking, why? Why does he <laughs> get this recognition? He didn't have to work so hard. That's such a basic character. Anyone can go look like Luffy, but spring man, that takes heart. That takes dedication. So you're liking it? I am liking it. <laughs> I, I'm pretty done with the single player mode at this point. The story is pretty ridiculous. It's fun and goofy for a while where it's just like the lore of anyone who's walking on the streets is willing to fight. And you can go fight people that are 20, 30 levels above you. You can go punch a grandma on the head and she'll try to fight back. But no, you'll probably beat her in like two hits and she'll pay you because you punched her. <laughs> She's just minding her own business. Um, but after a while, it just started like narratively. It showed its hand. It's not trying to be anything more than a of a, a vehicle to just beat up a bunch of people with your care your custom character. And even at that point, just the fights were just not super fun anymore. I was just taking advantage of AI, not super smart, and I only really wanted to play against people online. And was playing there just with regular characters because. The custom characters are kind of busted because you can just put any move combination of characters on there. There's only so much you want to do there. Unless if you just really feel like breaking all the rules with people who are also breaking all the rules. Um, but I've got placed in my rank. I'm in I only got placed in bronze. Not a really strong fighting game person, but main character Marisa right now. She's doing pretty good. Greek warrior lady. All about super armor and tanking hits. Uh, which I've been a big fan of. I didn't think I was going to click super well with this because I haven't liked traditional fighting games in the past, but uh, the modern control style that they have that kind of eliminates all of the, I don't want to say necessarily complicated, but longer uh, inputs for special moves is just all tied to like one button, which just makes navigating kind of just like the neutral state of this game so much easier when it's just like, okay, I feel like I can just comfortably use all of my moves at my disposal. Uh, can I just figure the game out with this? Uh, all understood instead of while instead of trying to learn the game while I'm fighting the controls and mis inputting everything, just it it makes the game way more digestible, way easier to understand. And that I am a big fan of. 
I feel like this is the kind of game. Like, I feel like I can just pick up Street Fighter Six and just, I get it now. Whereas before, it would just feel like I am walking with crutches for the first time. Just not very comfortable, very, very much not enjoying the time. But that is not the case. Good game. Uh, oh, and I wanted to tell you, I think, because you were curious about this. I know you would definitely pick it up a lot easier, but PvP is still a bit ruthless in this game the controls got easier so everyone there's a lot of people who are kicking ass pretty well so like I think I think you could still get away with having a really cool time for not being a super experienced fighting game person just diving into this game but you'll still hit that wall very quickly in PvP well I mean the extra element to it is like I'm gonna be keeping an eye out for sales on this and I'm also going to be sharing the links to those sales because True. like Mark, you already have it. So I, I would want Peter to be getting street fighter six. I would, I don't, I don't think James would get into it, but in theory I would want him to, I, I would want to be able to have like a few different people of like, okay, like we can all fight each other in this. And then, I mean, I would be a happy boy. I, I, I'm not like, even on Smash, I'm not going online that often. I could. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while I do, but um, that's that's not the main draw. The main draw is getting friends to play with you in a fighting game. Peter, what's your comment on that? I mean, I agree. Peter, I actually want to gauge here. Because we'll get this one day. $35 sale for Street Fighter Six. Are you willing to pull the trigger? Sure, if it's $35, I'd get it. Okay. Okay. It's not a huge commitment. All right, Mark. If you have anything else, you're on a time limit. Uh, yeah, Mark, I'm, if I'm... you have anything, no, if Mark, it's he's been he's been going for nearly an hour. Like guys, we got <laughs> we had a big we had a big Tears of the Kingdom thing going on. Uh, it's a game that hurts me so the only thing I'll mention guys I started playing Mass Effect 1 oh yeah good for you I'm just dipping my toes in the water there going back to the series but that's it that's all for me uh I do have a thing to add on to what I've been playing besides Tears of the Kingdom but I think it might get touched on in Peter's thing so let's go to Peter it's the only thing I've been playing and truth be told, I have I've had events going on in my personal life. I have not played Death Stranding in almost two weeks. Oh, I've been looking Mark, forward to you talking about it. For you this know whole the time. week, I, Mark. Actually, week's been busy. My week has been very busy. I oh, okay, not two weeks. I last played. I don't know from the time we record. Okay, I've I played a bit, but maybe like an hour, hour and a half. I have barely played. I've been very busy with things in life. But uh, there's something, as I'm playing more of the game, I want to immediately start with. I don't want to talk about story, because it's a Kojima game, and we'll figure that out. You know, we'll talk about that as you go along. But it's if you wanted another Kojima-written game with the you know the names of the characters and the subtlety of the writing at times, don't worry, that's all coming. That's all in there. But there's something I want to say. And Owen, maybe you'll agree with me. Maybe you haven't gotten enough in there. This is a kind of out there opinion. But I, as I'm going, as I'm traveling the world of Death Stranding, I'm just seeing these things, and it just came to my mind. So, spoilers 
spoilers for the end of Near Automata. This okay. game's beat-to-beat -beat gameplay does a better job at accomplishing what the ending of Near Automata tried to do. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And I have technically not gotten far enough in my own gameplay to confirm this. I've only played about 90 minutes. Um, but I know exactly what you're talking about in terms of interacting with the things that people have left behind for you. Exactly. They don't really get much of a monetary gain for it, or if they do, it's not that great. It's just like, oh, like it. You'll never really know who did it or why they did it. They just left it here for you. They, hey, here, there's this uh, rapid like thing of like rapid water. Here's a here's a ladder. Oh, this hill's really tough to climb up. Here's a rope to climb up and descend from. Just these little things, because the whole point of the game is rebuilding and reconnecting America. And it's just the little unsaid ways of, like, some stranger on their own travels. They had gotten up. They, like, crossed this really dangerous path. They had a hard time for it. So they laid the groundwork so you didn't have to. Up there. And they did it purely just to help you out. That's perfect. That's great. Well, I That's... think they did it for clout because they get likes on it. And their names well, are tied to it well, also. You can't see who did it. Now, th there is a dual meaning here. And one of them is what I think is is the more positive approach that, that Peter is taking. But there is also a, like, some sort of commentary on social media of, like, it's a little weird that someone did something and now we have the ability to press a like button for it. But I think it's a debate of... And the fact that Kojima can just allow a player to drop a ladder and it creates this sort of, like, massive debate over it, I think it ends up being, like, glass half empty, glass half full kind of thing of which of it stands out to you. And the more of, like, oh, you can like it so that you're just doing it for publicity. Or it's like, well, no, you've also helped myself and others who will come after me with our travels because you struggled. So it's like, which of those do you fall more on? Why do you think they did it? You can, Each time you find one of these objects, you can have that inner debate of, like, did they do this for themselves or did they do this to help me and everyone else? Just simply by fucking putting a rope somewhere on a map. And that's just, that's great game design, in my opinion. And the ending of Nier Automata is just so overdramatic, up its own ass, thinks it's just self-serious, self-important bullshit. Whereas this Stranding is like, here's a rope. That's <laughs> a more effective way of getting across that message. One thing I find drawn to in in just the beginning of this game, it's it, it earns this because it's Kojima. It also earns this in... I mean, it's really bonkers. It, even just in the first hour and a half, I'm, I'm actually... I thought I knew a lot about this game, but I'm even know, kind shit. of surprised by how I'm, bonkers I'm it is. I'm so fucking shocked by this game still. I'm like, what the I, fuck? So, I'm not sure if I'll do this every, every episode while I'm still playing it, but I had this thought of like, you know... A lot of this seems silly, but also Kojima's such a he's such a big brain guy. Like he he's clearly going for something bigger even when it's stupid. So I want to come up with like even if it's too early, even if it's a little absurd, I, I want to come up with that like a big wide ranging take on the game whenever I can. And I do have a take in the first 90 minutes of how of a, basically my explanation of why Kojima does something. 
And that comes in the first hour when you meet a character named Die Hard Man. And this man is, like, important in the government. At least, like, it, it seems like that's the case. And it's a completely absurd name. You hear it and you, like, you almost want to facepalm. It's so stupid. Like, if I'm, like, 30 hours from now going, like, one of my highlights, that fucking scene with Die Hard Man. Oh, my God, I can't. The acting with Die Hard Man was so good. But I had a thought that came to me when I asked the question of, like, but why would Kojima do that? And I'll share that here. If everything is about rebuilding America, in that scene in the first hour, you meet Die Hard Man... The president dies, and what you think is essentially the Oval Office gets revealed to actually be this, like, super cold and sterile room that looks like it's made of metal. I kind of think, even though Kojima has often given off the air of, like, he's just incredibly fascinated by America and maybe even loves America. I think he's kind of saying like, you know, we're a society that's only good for our entertainment. We haven't really accomplished anything. Everything's a facade. Everything is about the movies we've created. Essentially. It's about Hollywood. And that is my first big brain take of death stranding there there is a hopeful energy of like we're trying to rebuild things we're trying to actually come together but i mean that's not that's not what we've done to this point and in then real it's life. like will we only come together if we can have some sort of like clap if we can only get like social media clap will we only help each other out if we have that sort of like and even then like it's not even like the people who like lead the things like they're not getting any material benefit you aren't like financially benefiting from it but like does our society value like internet fame and internet popularity more than anything else is that what we've come to isn't it incredible that we're like having this conversation after a couple hours yes! Of this game? <laughs> yes um I have very different feelings after a couple hours of this game where I was playing this game early enough that a lot of these rivers did not have any ladders. Nobody had put them down yet. Well, I mean, you could have become internet famous if you were putting down the ladders. Yes. Uh, I was putting ladders down, all right, but they weren't helping anybody. They were taking them into un... (laughs) I would put ladders up mountains that if you climbed it, you would just fall down the mountain after climbing up the ladder. We we are... Me and Peter are not only playing it at the best time because we're playing the director's cut. We're also playing it at the best time because there's been some distance. And this is something, this is a game that has clearly like, uh, it people have grown fonder of it the further away they get from it. And now we're entering it at a time where, like, the opinion of Death Stranding is only going up. But it was probably at its lowest when it first came out. Like, the general public opinion, anyways. Mm-hmm. So, Mark, I, I don't think you're crazy about this game. But I hope uh, if me and Peter continue to approach it with enthusiasm that, that you'll hear us out. I mean, I 
greatly disliked the first like seventy-five, no, eighty percent of this game. Wow! But then the last twenty percent was just even cool. Even the beginning where you hear the first song from Low Roar as you're walking into the city. Did you dislike that? What a fucking Pitching all, opening. All of my roommate was playing. Te- my roommate was playing Tears of the Kingdom, and as that song kept going, he paused the game and he was just watching and listening to the song. He's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Whenever I, Low Roar is playing, that's a different style. Like, oh yeah, that's different. I, I've been really, really in into the music moments of it. Didn't the lead singer of that band die last year? He yeah, did. he did. Well, fuck. And it, 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 I just remembered this. Yeah, no, it was sad. Kojima put out a tweet of like basically like the world of Death Stranding like couldn't exist without his voice. I know, give him that that, that fucking song with that opening. It's like, oh my god, like chills going on my arms. Like, At, this, I feel like it's like here we go. After my first play session, I turned on the song immediately. Yep, that's exactly what I did, and my roommate now listens to it when he drives around. He's now added to like his main playlist, and he doesn't—he's not even playing or watching me play Death Stranding. I'm just at a point where I just, like, I know I should probably associate Loror with Death Stranding, but I listen to them so much and stuff that is not some of their stuff that's just not a part of that game at this point. That's just like, oh, Death Stranding put me on Loror, but the like, uh, you're a real fan to, now. No, I'm not saying I'm even a real fan. It's just like. Uh, I like the, the music on its own more than just like the moments for what it does in the game. And those moments are cool. Don't get me wrong, but they're just surrounded by so many moments I really dislike so that it's, it just kind of hampered the experience for me. But the ending just, was cool. Can I just say, the the section of the game when you're like surrounded by BTs, holy shit. Owen, have you found yourself in this in this scenario? Not yet? Not in gameplay, no. Have fun because when you do, it's like, oh my god, that's all. It's scary as shit. It's like the game becomes like, oh, it's a walking ship. It's a walking ship. I'm in a horror game now. They're butting heads with them. I wasn't. I tried to not be scared of them because they made me angry after a while. I I'm looking forward to it because I I think they are very scary from everything I've seen so far. Um, I like a little bit of fear in my things sometimes. Uh, the last thing I'll say on my first impressions of it is like, is it technically, you know, it's PlayStation Desma engine, third person cinematic game. It goes under all those categories, but it just sets itself apart so much just right from the beginning. Like the cinematography is better than most of what we see from PlayStation first party. It is also just so weird that it it isn't beholden to the critiques that we often present to these games because it's not doing anything that's even remotely similar to uh, the the usual suspects of PlayStation First Party, and it stood out to me immediately of like you know I'm watching these borderline like forty minute cutscenes. And I'm I'm not mad about it. I'm not mad because they're doing weird things. And I'm interested in where it's going. Uh, so I I had a very positive first play session. I can't wait to get back to it. Peter, anything else you got? Nope, I'm good. All right, ten minutes on XCOM two. 
The now XCOM two getting the short end of the stick. It, it objectively is, but that being said, we kind of we have talked about this game a little bit too much while we were playing it. If I could change that in hindsight, I maybe would. But now, because we were never able to get everyone together for it, uh, I would I would keep it exactly the same because we we have talked about XCOM two quite a bit. We just haven't given our final thoughts on it. Peter, you're the one that has the most known opinions on it. So, do you want to start with how you're the I totality? Wanna you want to go I last? Hear you too. Okay. Okay. I'm going to go first. I mean, it was my number 10 game of all time. Everyone knows my thoughts. No one knows your exact thoughts. I'm going to go first then. And uh, Peter, while we're talking, can you find the stuff that Joe wrote out? Because I don't don't remember where where that is. But um, we're going to give Joe's opinion, but not James. Well, I feel like you talked to James a lot about it. If you're able to have some memory of that. But I, I... we have to call it quits at a certain point. We just have to have a conversation about it and stop having it hang over our heads. So my opinion on XCOM 2 is very positive. There is a but, though. I enjoyed pretty much all of my approximately 40 hours in the game. I was never really dreading playing it, which is a great feeling, especially when, like, you're technically being required to play the game. So all very positive. But I have one clear opinion, and it is that when the chosen are gone, the game is significantly less fun. Once you've defeated them, there is much less pulling you through. It's it's more so like, okay, fuck, like another gorilla op. I'm, I'm trying to do... um trying to get some research done i don't really want to defend this area and i did end up getting to a point of like you know what? i'm just skipping that mission i'm one day away from finishing research i'm not going to do that mission it's going to add another 30 minutes to my real life time here and i don't like that it had to reach that point but it did and especially once the chosen were gone because at least when the chosen were still there if i skipped that mission there was some threat of like oh fuck like you are so bad at talking way. about things you like. You are so bad at it. I just, I can't hold this opinion anymore. Every, you are afraid, you are afraid to positively talk about things you like. You always just shotgun blast all of your negativity. You are always afraid. You always have to be like, just so everyone knows that I can't positively, consistently feel good about something. Here's all the shit I don't like. We're going to get to the things we don't like going. But you always have to make sure it's first. You always have to make sure. And it. I'm sick of it. I'm absolutely sick of it. Sick of it. So, have you considered that I might be a negatively wired person? Motherfucker, you're talking to me about being negatively wired. Well, ex- exactly. And unfortunately... And even me, but even me, someone who's negatively wired, it's like, here's the thing I like. If I'm mainly coming at it with, I like it, then I'm going to start with why I like it. So, you're probably right in that 
I think I would maybe even be a better podcaster if I was better at talking about the positives of things. But I, this is how I naturally lean. I look for the negativity in everything. And I wish this wasn't the case in me, but it is. And this was one of my, my prominent opinions of the game is that, is that when the chosen were gone, it was less fun. Now that left a lot of the game that was very fun. I loved the enemy variety and I loved the strategy to things. The, I can literally hear the butt. You've already like cocked it and it's loaded. You're no, no, I've, I've, al- I've already said the butt. The butt is the chosen being gone. Um, I, I'm, I'm saying that like, I, I do need to get better at talking about positive things. You're correct. Because even the positive things, I'm, I'm kind of doing a yada yada positive things. Like, uh, enemy variety, yada yada. Oh, this, yada, these yada, things yada. are good, but this one thing bad, so it's very bad. It's like, oh. No, I, I... It's a flaw. If I'm communicating that it's very bad, then I'm not communicating this correctly because it's well, not when you, and when you say you love the game but you're mostly talking about the things you hated that did you love the game it doesn't sound like you love the game i feel like i'm giving a sufficient response to you i i'm owning the fact that i'm not great at talking about That's the positives fair. that is fair and i will take that as i win i won okay fine fine can you not answer it like that and do a new take? Because you sound passive aggressive, and people are going to be like, "Wow, fucking Peter Owen really went at it this episode." The chosen made the game fun, and when they were gone, it was a less fun experience. Positives, enemy variety, basically the whole entire game. The entire game, new enemies are coming out of the woodwork that will kick the shit out of you. Uh, positive. I liked the feeling of crossing over into being competent, more than competent even, being powerful. I think Mark, I'm going to predict a critique he's going to have. I think he's going to think it got a little too easy. Maybe it did. I don't know. But by the time it got a little too easy, I was also ready to be like, okay, let's start working towards the end. So I... I feel like... A reason why I am more, just to add on to what you're saying, I feel like it does get to, as someone, again, 10th favorite game, I fucking adore this game. It does get too easy at the end, but for me, I don't think it's like a sinking fault, at least not for me, because the game makes you fucking work for it. It does, it does. You have to get, like, just blood, sweat, and tears. Hours and hours and hours of getting your shit rocked. Until you're finally at the top, and it's like, you put in the time and effort to get to that point. You deserve the benefits of all of your hard work and the rewards that come with it. But that's me. And I also played with a reasonable amount of consequence to things that added a nice amount of tension. I typically wouldn't accept what I thought of as a bullshit death of, like, a car exploded. Car, a car exploding for the number ones of like I'm not accepting that. No. Um, but if you know someone died in fisticuffs in warfare, and they just got gunned down because they they were the one at the back of the line, I would begrudgingly be like, you know what? I think I gotta accept that one. Um, it didn't happen that often. I probably lost like five or six people total. 
but it, it happened enough to add in that feeling of tension, the feeling of like I I could lose something here. Um, I don't want to take up too much time, so Mark, you can get into some of your opinions on this game. Make make sure you really emphasize the positives, though. I agree, but I uh, I'll see what his are. Um, so this this game XCOM two was a fun video game that I really liked actually. I have pretended to be pretty down on this game. But I actually did really really like it. Uh but <laughs> here's the but. You are fucking you're just gluttonous for negativity. That's what you two are. You just no. come to a fucking feast and it's like give me all give it give me all. I want all of it. I don't know cuz there's, there's there's a goal. I mean some of this is going to be reiterating what you guys have said a little bit but there is certainly like a golden era of playing this game and that is from the beginning to a certain point when you are strong enough to just wipe out the chosen and just march down everything because right it is fun kind of putting the pieces together like putting your team together uh but i've i've said it before i'm very vocal that i don't like fog of war mechanics and some of the times, like, there is difficulty in this, but it's like, I only have three soldiers right now, and they could come from any angle, and if they shoot from behind cover, I lose a guy. And it's like, we're, this this whole game is about deadlines. Things are happening in the world that you are kind of navigating around, trying to maintain peace, spread your cause across the globe, and also do important missions that kind of uh, reduce certain timers where the enemy is working on certain things or trying to locate you, uh, and if you let if you just ignore these things that are chasing you, be it the chosen or say the the project. I don't even remember the name of the project at this point. Avatar Project is that what it is? Yeah. yeah. Hey. Um, just these things that are timers, and that's it's fun kind of planning around that, uh, especially when there's like the moment to moment fun of like. Oh no, I tried biting off a mission that was a little too hard for me. Some of these timers are getting a little too close, and a lot of my best guys right now, they're not looking so healthy right now. And they're not going to be healthy for a long time. Uh, and just kind of having to make very quick decisions and just figuring out how to turn things around. I almost lost a whole run. I had the Avatar Project get down to like one bar. I hadn't been to a single black site yet. I wasn't getting any of the the missions that you like send your soldiers on none of those missions i had to get rid of any progress on it and i just been thinking like man i have no idea how i'm supposed to stop this thing because i was just completely ignoring the story the very first objective they kind of give you to like go to one country or, or go to a very specific factory i think is what it is um i ignored that for like until the chosen were already dead before I went to the first story objective. Oh my god, you waited that long? I knew you waited a long time. I didn't realize you waited that long. I, I said I'm just gonna play the game here. Like that's a nice objective you got over there. I'm gonna do everything else, and then I'm gonna go back and touch this. Uh, and I had a lot of fun doing that, just figuring it, just uncovering certain things before the game was really ready to show me. And just the the sheer amount of enemies they just kept introducing, I thought was so much fun. I thought I had seen everything. Um, 
but I hadn't until very, very far into the game. And that is, that's the one counterpoint I would say to where things kind of fell off after a while because like things weren't super difficult. The one thing that the game kept doing is introducing enemies that were just tougher and tougher. And then it shows you the last two enemies in the game. And it's just like, how do you even kill some of these guys? Especially in the final mission, right before you get to the fucking, to like, to the like the final the final rule but it's like you're about to be done here are two arachnopods and several white and red mechs and you're just like oh my oh my god what am i gonna do the the (laughs) the final mission as much as we're saying like the game gets easier i struggled a little bit i think the final mission was like a, a legit thing to go through i had the commander mind control a mutom and I, and I would just have the muton run up, and I would just use him to, like, activate all the enemies who are located. And then he got gunned down the final room. I'm like, oh, I wonder what that is. And then at the last, the room with the arachnopods took me maybe, like, an hour. Because I had, I had a fuck-up where there was the arachnopods and the white mechs, and then a group of white and red, mech, and red mechs. But... They ended up being close enough that when I would activate one, the other would also activate. So I had to fight an army of ten mechs and then the two arachnopods. And it's just like, I, because before that, I had not gotten hit by a single enemy. I was playing the mission perfectly. And then that room comes, it's like, my guys have to get fucked up here. There's no happy ending. I'm going to take a lot of damage. I can't get through this. And it was, that room beat my ass. And then, you know, I got to the end and it wasn't, it wasn't as bad, but... No matter how good I got, whenever the arachnopod showed up, it was like, all right, everyone, stop fucking around. Like, this serious... Quick taking around. We have, this is a fucking threat. This could single-handedly wipe me. I have, to, I have to take this seriously. For me, if I wasn't taking them out in one turn, I was terrified. Um, yep. I did mm-hmm. get a little bit better towards the end where I started carrying EMP grenades all the time, and that helped a lot. Um... But still, there was an element of, like, especially when you were facing, like, two at one time, I was just like, fuck, what am I going to do? I'm not going to be able to take both of them out in one in one turn here. Well, like, when the, did you ever invest in hacking? No, oh, yeah. no, I, I didn't. Oh, my God. Oh, my I God. I didn't that makes one him, bit. That makes them so much easier because I would pause. I would, like, because with the hacking, you can, like, if you get, you know, if you win, you can freeze them for a turn. And then when I would do that, I'd be like, all right, everyone fucking, like, haul ass and kill that thing before it wakes up. Because without the hackers, I can't imagine. I can't imagine killing two at once. It's become so much harder. I, once I figured out, because I had been ignoring, like, ammunition types, and one of them is literally just ignore armor. Yep, the piercing. Yeah, just the just the piercing i'm just like oh my god i'm gonna put this on all of my snipers and just dead eye all of them and kill them in like two or three hits each and i think there's a perk where it's like if you get a kill with a sniper you can just get another move from it like you get another action uh, after it and a lot of my guys i had two shotgunners because i know peter you were big on melee weapons but i was big on the shotgun and said to give a little bit of range still and we're having two shotgun guys just running in, staying close, destroying everything. I had the one, like, Nova Blade Grace. I don't remember what they were called. Like, the Fanatic ones. Where they're also all about when they kill people, they heal and get extra turns. And yeah, just, I know what you're about. they just 
they're just about momentum just like have them keep moving and they will just keep killing things i was the backup of my two shotgunners and then my snipers would just take out everything from long range and just after a while that strategy usually solved most of my problems uh but it took a while to build up to that and researching all that was kind of fun i think uh i mentioned before still i had a lot of fun but a lot of anytime it was fog of war i just felt like okay i can't play the game my way now i have to like i'm going to get screwed over some way something's going to sneak up behind me and i'll be like oh i want to like kind of commit to a sacrifice but a lot of times it's like no i literally could i could have done everything right i could make the smartest decisions and i wouldn't have no idea what's going on here and that's part of the fun for a lot of people but to me it's just like on a game that's all about timers just like rng bullshit i'm just I can't just have too much fun with that. Uh, not on a first playthrough. I have to really know the game. This is like an extra modifier to a game I'd already played. Sure, that's a lot more fun uh, with that possibility. But this is just, like, I I just would roll my eyes all the time and be like, of course I just got like murdered from someone stabbing me in the back just because I, not just did something come out of a direction I could not have guessed someone was standing over there, but when a new, especially when a new enemy comes out of the fog, it's a very cool moment. It's like, oh, what are they going to do? Oh, he threw a grenade that just blew up two of my guys. What was I supposed to do at this point? I'm just, I would reload a save very quickly. I ended up reloading a save a whole lot in this game. Oh my god, I save scummed a lot, yeah. and I don't care. Are you kidding? Uh, I get, it's I don't not something shit. that like, should have to care. But sometimes it's just like annoying deaths where it's just like, okay, this was unreactable. I don't, I don't know what I was supposed to do. I, I felt like maybe I should have just taken it a lot of the time, but a lot of times it's like, no, this just isn't fair. I feel like this wasn't a very fun way for someone to die. I had, because we haven't mentioned this, we named people after each other and our squads was made up of our friends and everything. I did have a sacrifice of my one of my first snipers Owen Shannon as he had been abducted very early into the game and I didn't get a mission to rescue him until like I was just about to finish the game like three missions before and on his rescue mission I was climbing up a building and we were all walking across the very top layer we get detected someone throws a grenade there and I didn't realize Owen was standing on a glass ceiling and he fell three stories to his death that is so great that that mm-hmm. that is what makes the game great. I like yeah. R.I.P. me. I think that's an awesome story. I had a more successful Each mission run. is a story. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I had a more successful run where I was so fucking stupid. I was so dumb. It was a really frankly, it was an easy mission. And I evacuated everyone except for uh, one of my lead guys had had some of my most important weapons, Colonel Joseph Jerusef, and I left him as the only one on the battlefield, and he got mind-controlled. And when that happens, it's mission over. There is no, there's no reloading a save. Oh, yeah. Um, mission over, they've been captured. And I was devastated. Because he had the, would it be the hunter weapons? What 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 are the names of the chosen? He had one of the chosen weapons. Yeah, yeah. No, he had chosen weapons. Uh-oh. He had the chosen assault rifle. Oh my god, that's so good. And uh, 
I I took that really hard. It took a little bit to get a mission for it, but eventually I was able to save him. And I I wasn't that worried about my ability to save him because like he was so strong and I was so strong at that point. And it's like, okay, let's let's just bring our guy back and he's going to fit in like a glove again. But uh yeah, uh, exciting stuff. Uh, the the fact that your guys can get kidnapped just in random missions and then you have to wait for another mission to save that guy. I, I just think that's great. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of times where I would leave people behind because like that was something I wasn't usually a lot of the time I had one person who was kind of like not one of my main like 10, 12 people kind of filling in a, a spot. I had a lot of those guys get left behind as prisoners and I saved most of them by the end of the game but those missions to save them don't come up very often i i've rarely had the opportunity that's not a problem by any means i was just surprised like when these guys are prisoners of war they stay prisoners of war for a long period of time of this game what what were you gonna say since we have other topics we gotta move on before we give our rating is i want to hear your guys' thoughts on the chosen themselves which you thought was the easiest, which you thought was the most difficult, and just your overall experience of what you thought of them as a game mechanic. Oh, I think it's cool that they all are things you have to keep track of because if you just let them roam the world on their own, eventually they have a meter that if it fills up, they hunt you down. That's correct. That That is what happens with their meter fills up, right? Yes, they start being able... And I think one of you had the experience of one of them attacked the Avenger. or what? Or I did. James I did. I had that. Exactly. I lost two soldiers when that happened. Oh God! Yeah, uh, it's pretty once, threatening. But it wasn't a chosen thing, though. Like I had the, sh- it the was ship the UFO shot down. crashing you. Yes, that's why I had that happen once. I never a, ch- a chosen never got on the adventure for me. And also, I had basically nothing to defend the Avenger. Uh, I had no turrets or anything, so it, it, it was a pretty rough time when that chosen came by i don't think i researched turrets at all either i thought the ufo thing was a scripted story thing honestly when it happened if that's just something i could not happen crazy the assassin the warlock and the hunter the assassin is kick your balls into the ground difficult oh yeah Assassin's very tough, and then the other two are bushovers. They might as well not be. I, I'm especially two playthroughs in. I'm convinced the warlock AI is broken. He never does anything smart. He constantly just runs towards my enemy, like runs towards my units. Then someone's like a couple guys brings one for the dead, and then my fuck. And then again, especially with my playthrough, he was weak to melee attacks. So he would run towards me, and I would just be like, all right, Joe Aaron, go over there and just cut him down with your sword. And he'd be dead in an instant. It's like, why do you keep running towards me? He will never use his assault rifle. He just died all the time. He was never a challenge. The And then the, the hunter was barely any better. But the assassin would show up, and again, it would be a scenario with the arachnopods where it's like, this just became a very different mission. Everyone needs to focus the fuck up. The... I agree mostly. I thought the hunter like not horrible, but typically pretty manageable. The warlock literally like died to militia in one mission. Yeah, I did, which is pretty crazy. That that just like shouldn't be able to happen. 
he's a fucking pushover. The now the the uh, the uh, the chosen strongholds. Did either of you struggle with them? In the last areas, I I struggled with almost all of them because enemies keep spawning in if you don't handle things fast enough. Um, so I, I found those fairly difficult. I struggled with the first one because, like Owen was saying, I had to fig- I figured out the hard way. Like, oh, they just keep coming, and it got pushed into a bit of a corner because that was also the assassin, which is objectively the most difficult one because they could just sneak up on you from anywhere in the map and just stab you in the back and kill you. Basically, fog of war to the character, which is yep. you know so cool. I I won't lie, those are fun matches but there are a lot of times where I'm just, like the first map where the assassin shows up I just was like what do they want me to do they want me to get lucky that the AI chooses not to kill me immediately because it definitely has the means because to they do can. that yeah, they they literally, literally the numbers are there I, I, if, the, if the fucking boss decided to just go full aggro I wouldn't stand a chance it's like okay I gotta figure out what makes it not want to attack if there even is a pattern to it, which I'm sure there probably is, but I did not pick up on it. But I did not really struggle with the strongholds after that. The worst case is just like I would go into the final fight and something would go terribly wrong on the way there and I'd use all of my heals before the final fight and that would be like where it was kind of tricky, but I would always go in with like two medics to those situations because I wasn't fucking around. Any que- anything you'd like to say on the base building aspects of the game? Anything at all? I was like, oh, it was neat, or I didn't like it. It was fine. I like management stuff. Pretty, pretty simple overall in this game. I could have, I wouldn't have minded. I don't know how they balance this, but I wouldn't have minded like give me just a little more complication to the base building. Not a ton, just to like you know, like one notch of volume up. And at the same time, let me have a little more control over the, the random guerrilla op missions or random attacks where it's like, is there some way we can make it so that like they function like covert ops where I don't have to go in every time and do a full mission because uh, most often it was when I was getting into the base building elements that those missions would come up to interrupt me. I was like, well, I can't fucking, I can't build the base. And that's what I want to be doing right now. But these missions keep coming up. Um, I would have liked a little more like push and pull in that uh, category of the game. Then do, I think it's time to rank it. Yeah, I was about to say, do we rank it? I've got my ranking. I'll figure it out. Peter, why don't you tell us where your ranking is? Do... Whoa, everyone, after much deep deliberations, XCOM 2 War of the Chosen, surprisingly, is my number one game in the game club. I know we're all surprised. Everyone, please sit down. But it's meant to be. How could it not be? It's one of my favorite games of all time. It's incredible XCOM 2 or the chosen is my number one I'm gonna do mine I'm gonna go through the full list of of games club that we've done uh because I I did find what I believe was the last time I ranked it um I have nine games total 
And my number nine is Mirror's Edge. Number eight, Return of the Oberdin. Number seven, Prey. Number six, Titanfall 2. Number five, Transistor. Number four, Halo Infinite. Number three, Psychonauts. Number two, Control. And number one, XCOM 2. Woo! Wow. Oh, okay. Holy shit. I can't believe it. I, I think I think it's the one I was by far the most excited to play, like throughout the entirety of my experience with it. But Mark, yours now. For for me, number nine, Titanfall two still. Uh number eight, Mirror's Edge. Uh number seven, Prey. Six, Halo Infinite. Five, Control. Four, we have XCOM 2. And three, we have Psychonauts. Two, we have Transistor. And one, we have Return of the Oberdin. Just for reference, because you guys did your whole list and made me look bad, and rightfully so. I should have done that on my own. I have, at nine, Return of the Oberdin. At eight, Psychonauts 1. At seven, Mirror's Edge. Six, Control. Five, Halo Infinite. Four, Titanfall 2. Three prey, two transistor, one XCOM two. You guys are so down on prey. It's the more I think of prey, the more I like it. Still, to oh, I agree, but I'm not sure if I have any right to like just change the ranking for that is it. fair. Um, I I definitely think more highly of prey. I also think like I kind of want to play it again one day and maybe give it a better shake than I initially did. I'm not sure if I'll actually do that, but. I, f- I think Prey is one of the biggest success stories of Game Pass. Yeah, I think so. I-, I think it's really turned into a game that, like, it's a game that people reference. It's a game that people remember. And it wasn't before Game Pass. All right. A lot of people probably tuned in for Summer Games Fest talk and Xbox talk, and it's taken us an hour and 30 minutes to get there. Let's have, like, a thing in the description of, like, Here's when we talk about the main topic. I'm typically not a fan of that, but in this case, I'm I'm more willing to do that. Um, I I think if you sign up for a podcast, you should accept chan- tangents. You should accept the things that the 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 areas the hosts want to take it. But in this case, when it's like this, should have been a more focused episode about our reactions to this stuff. We have been very unfocused, and I can be empathetic to the fact that some listeners may have wanted the focus. Summer Games Fest. I'm going to lean on you guys a bit for this. I've listened to recaps. I've looked up some things. I was at work while it aired, and while it seemed like a pretty solid show. It didn't seem like the type of thing I needed to rewatch. So Peter, I'll throw it to you for some of your thoughts on summer games fest. I have said several times over the years, both uh, ever since we started doing this podcast of, I am a supporter of the game awards and I don't support summer games fest. I find it unnecessary. I don't understand why it exists. I don't think it adds anything to the summer, to the June season of, you know, games and, uh, you know, games, trade shows and all that stuff. E3 season. E3 season. Thank you. Thank you. And after watching this year's, I have to say it was the best one yet. 
and I would rather it not exist, and I don't think it adds anything to the E3 season. Like, I just don't... I think this year Jeff did the best version of the show that he has done. That being said, if this is the best the show is going to be, I don't understand why it exists. I don't get it. I just... It just... It is a hollowed attempt at... It's just like... All Summer Games Fest does is remind me of what we had and that it's gone. And then I see this and it's just... It's a hollow show. There's no heart. There's no soul. It's just Keeley comes on, says a bunch of shit that no one really cares about, and then a game trailer comes on. He's like, yeah, excited. Isn't that great? Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome. And it's like, I mean, yeah, I don't need you to tell me. You know, I just watched it. I have my own thoughts. Let's just keep going. And there's just, there's no personality to it. It's just, here's the Keeley show. And at least the Game Awards, the Game Awards is at least a celebration of the industry. And a look back on the year we just had. And there's so, just, there is merit to that. There is worth in that. This, it's just a fucking dollar store E3 presentation. And I would just, I'd rather it not be. There were some good announcements there. There were some good showcases. I thought Mortal Kombat 1 and him having Ed Boon on stage in the interview, I thought that whole segment was fucking great. I thought it was wonderful. Mortal Kombat 1 showed great. Ed Boon shared a lot of, like, deep knowledge of the game, explained a lot of mechanics of it very well and clearly. Great gameplay while he was doing it, so it wasn't just two guys talking. I thought that portion was very well done. Why it was two hours, I don't know. I don't understand. Still, even after it, he's like, there are three to four games people are going to be really excited about. Then don't just, if you really are going into a two-hour show and boasting about having three, maybe four games, then it doesn't have to fucking be two hours. I don't know. I will just, I gave it a 7.5 out of 10. I stand by that ranking. It was probably the best show Keeley has done, and I still would rather it not exist and everyone, I'd rather just like, hey, here's the here's the digital Xbox show, here's the Ubisoft digital, here's the PlayStation digital, here's the Nintendo digital. If we're not going to go back to what we had, as sad as that makes me, I'd rather just do, hey, here's the digital Xbox on Sunday, here's the digital PlayStation on Monday, here's the digital Nintendo on Tuesday, and like a Ubisoft or maybe an EA thing in between or something like that like just give us the closest we can to the old model and if companies just want to save money by going digital then that's fine but just summer games fest i do not like it i don't think i'll ever like it if this is what keely wants it to be maybe i'm being a curmudgeon i don't know but yeah i i did not like i said where to give something a 7.5 i think i'm giving it like a 7.5 based on what keely wants the show to be but based on what i like i'd give it like a four or five i just do not like summer games fest and i don't think i ever will four out of five or four out of ten? Four to four out of ten four out of ten okay okay um i think mark watched it but i did yes i did watch it live l- um, l- let's hear your thoughts on it first i thought it was pretty good actually there was a lot of stuff sprinkled throughout the stuff that I did not care for. Um, and I've, I've always been rooting for Jeff Keighley and his summer games fest, hoping that as time goes on, he's going to be able to figure it out more and put together more of a show. He's, his hands are kind of tied. He's at the mercy of all the partners he has to work with. And this, I don't know if this year he's actually figured it out or if the stars just aligned that he could get enough 
uh, because this is a really big year for gaming. A lot of things are just kind of happening right now. So his show was in the in the right place at the right time. So I don't want to say like Summer Game Fest is finally here because we had a decent a decent show put together here. It's definitely not like an all time great of E three esque season. Uh, but they started off strong with some really cool reveals. There's definitely some stuff showed off that I would be interested in. It wasn't all CG stuff. It wasn't all games that looked like it was the same genre, even. Uh, even though it seems like there's a good amount of games that want to be Bioshock right now, uh, whether it is they are ready to come out in the next year or just a trailer that's announcing them with no sort of date, like that's the one thing I would maybe point at. We don't really have a lot of Bioshock right now, and I guess, I guess it's something people would maybe be interested in. I'm not super interested in trying out some of that, but uh, definitely a cool show. I will say there was one moment of this show that is like one of my, I think one of the funniest moments I've seen from an E3-esque show. I don't know if you saw this, Owen, but uh, it was a point in time in the show where Jeff Keighley's announced and stuff, he's bringing stuff on. And a trailer plays for Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, which is them porting the original. It's not even like a port; it's like a remake of like everything yeah, that Final on, Fantasy VII on mobile. Yeah, yeah. He plays a trailer for that, and then right after he says, "Speaking of Final Fantasy," and then everyone in the crowd is like gasped, like everyone's like, "Oh my god, it's time for for rebirth." He's gonna drop something crazy, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no," and he goes on to bring up like a taco bell deal that promotion that he's doing with final fantasy and then the just loud oh from the crowd is jeff has to tell them about how there's a final fantasy promotion with taco bell real quick as he just immediately shoots he 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 is quick to shoot down everyone's like building up of hype only i mean ultimately later on the show the big bang at the end was still final fantasy rebirth but which is a good payoff it's a good payoff to that moment it really was a good payoff. Had you seen that moment at all, Owen? I've heard of the moment. I, I did okay. not see it, though. Peter, did you think it was funny? Mm. I thought it was so funny. It was so, so funny. I I have opinions on this show having not watched it. That's the best kind. <laughs> From afar, everything seemed like, oh, it, it was like kind of a worthwhile one. Get Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. Get some cool Mortal Kombat stuff. The Prince of Persia game with a shock. Uh, What's the new Sonic game here? Yes, it was. You know, like, these are the type of things, like, they're not changing the world uh, minus Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, but, like, worthwhile things. It's like, oh, cool, I I Keely got that thing that, like, kind of moves the needle. Um... I don't think Summer Games Fest as a whole, I'm even as negative as Peter saying, like, to him, this was a 4 out of 10. Like, I think if I watched I would have thought, like, ah, it was solid. Again, like, I, have, I feel like what the show is going for, you're focused on the 4, I would still say my actual rating is, like, a 7.5 for what the show itself is striving to be. Just my personal enjoyment of it. It's a 4 out of 10. So focus on the 7.5, not the 4. Basically, what I think about this show is that the only way for it to be really successful 
is if every year they get one to four examples of like this is the big franchise that you haven't heard anything from in a long time and now keely has it and that's not you can't that you can't do that you every can't year. You can. that's the problem and if the brand is like the hype stuff comes here that could technically work if that was possible the the thing that makes these shows exciting is straight branding. It's what we said about the PlayStation show. The PlayStation show is bad because we didn't see PlayStation games. That doesn't mean all of the third-party things shown were bad. And some of them were worth seeing and could have been a part of a better showcase. But when we go to a PlayStation show, we only want playstation games we come there first and foremost for playstation games and then everything else they add is just gravy xbox same thing nintendo directs a the, ubisoft show an ea show Akili, it's like you might see a celebrity and it's like i don't fucking care there's like, uh I, i'm sorry to cut you off but like oh, there's even just an element of there's a casual level of console warness that we all participate in to some extent. Like I, I think we all enjoy kind of be like fist bump. Like, yeah, Xbox won this battle. Like yeah, at least a little a fun bit thing to do. Yeah. Just listen to what you just said. Xbox won this year. That's not everyone who looks at that and gets mad about it. It's like, well, yeah, you're weird for being mad about this thing. That isn't actually that big a deal. It's just a fun topic to discuss. Yeah, and Keeley's show can't be included in that. Unless you want to be like, oh, well, you know, the PlayStation Showcase wasn't that great, but they brought this thing to Keeley, which they didn't really do. They just revealed the, the release date to Spider-Man. But, like, that's the only way he can participate in that conversation, really. I guess you could say like oh what was the best show overall but i just feel like our sh our opinions on the show all of the shows are intimately tied to what brand is putting on the show and summer games fest just can't compete in that category am i off base like, no i mean i agree clearly what i like about this themed specific shows from the publishers is that you are going to a PlayStation showcase for a PlayStation experience. There is that anchor to, like, weigh yourself down to, to hold on to. Like, this is the focus. If there's third party, that's fine, too. That's great. But there is a goal. Like, there is a goal you go to to a Xbox showcase. There are a, like, there are Xbox goals. There are Xbox achievements. There is a checklist of things you want Xbox to accomplish while you are watching that show. You don't have that for the key, for the Summer Games Fest because it's just a fucking scatter shot of a bunch of different developers and a bunch of different publishers and a bunch of ads and celebrity cameos and other shit where it's like, I don't know. I, I don't have, and maybe it's our old way of thinking because we grew up with E3 and Keely has talked and feel like, 
Keeley has recently talked about interviews of how, like, the old E3 format just isn't the way of the future. And it's like, hey, if that's the case, then let's just not have anything anymore. Because if the Summer Games Fest is, I'm just so negative on it. If Summer Games Fest is the modernized future, I'd rather have nothing. But just look at Summer Games Fest, like, I can't get excited about it going into it because it could literally be anything. I don't know what to expect. And to some people, that's so exciting because then their imagination runs wild, or I don't like that at all because I like a Nintendo Direct because, okay, I'm, I can expect Nintendo. That's there to weigh me down and focus on because without it, my expectations are just aimless. Mark, do you have any additional thoughts on Summer Games Fest? I mean, I'm definitely of the mindset where anything can happen on this stage, and that's what makes it so great. Like, even though Spider-Man showed up for three minutes just to talk about the date and to show us the Venom artwork and to confirm that Eddie Brock is not the Venom of this game. There was more news than you guys gave it credit for. There was there was some crumbs in there. But um, if, if this is what E3 has to be to continue and like no even put it down but here's the thing here's the thing even even if you're just talking about this show or not there's still all the other digital events that kind of surround it and kind of work but those they do no because that's what's horseshit they do not happen that's like keely taking credit that's like keely saying tomorrow sunrise is a part of summer games fest it's going that those events are going to happen whether or not he's doing his own thing would they all happen in the same span of a week I don't see why they wouldn't. Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe they wouldn't. It is possible that maybe they wouldn't. Where do you lean towards, Owen? Well, I do believe the one thing Keeley has done is kept a a sort of gentleman's agreement around like we used to do this thing around this time and people liked it. So let's all just keep doing this thing around this time. But like, and I don't get why they wouldn't because it, I mean, again, you see it in like coverage of like gaming YouTube channels. They have their best numbers in June. It's ingrained into the audience. It's to the benefit of these companies to continue doing their big yearly shows in June because they've programmed their fans to expect big news in June. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's possible that everyone would realize like actually it is an advantage no matter what, even without Keeley. But I do think he he serves as like a figurehead of like this time period is held together by this man, whether it's true or not. Uh, I I think there's at least a little bit of truth to it. I think we should also talk about xbox please oh my god now let's talk now hey let's talk about a good show uh, i mean take it away peter give us some of uh i guess overarching thoughts on this this is the best show xbox has ever done if there's a better one i dare someone to show it to me like i mean come on it was just back to back to back to back first party announcements barely any fat there's no bullshit talking in between. It's just go, 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 go. 
Game Pass. Game, uh, all these games are actually at least first-party games are on Game Pass every now and again. Like it doesn't just show you. Here's the indie game from the studio you never heard of, but it's day one on Game Pass. There was barely any of that shit. It was mostly Xbox just talking with their chest, saying this is our showcase. The majority of what we saw, the majority, the, I, even with the Starfield Direct, like the vet, like I would say, like more than the majority of the t- of the content we saw was Xbox first party. That's what I fucking want from an Xbox show. That's what it should be. Fuck yes. The pacing, the content of the show, the way it was shown. What a great showcase. Xbox's best possibly ever. Probably ever. I agree completely. We watched it together. We also watched it with James. Um... This is something I want us to remember when it comes to uh, the the quality of these shows. Because, Peter, you often bring up, like, oh, like, you may think that something was good, but actually look back on it. And I want us to remember right now that everything Xbox did for this show, this show specifically, was the correct decision. Does that mean Fable is a guaranteed hit? No. Or Hellblade 2 is a guaranteed 10 out of 10? No. But they did exactly what we want out of show. They they had minimal talking, and every single trailer came with the anticipation of, like, is it about to say it's an Xbox game? And the majority of them did. The majority of them said that they were an Xbox Game Studios game or a Bethesda game. Um, And that's exciting. That's how you do the show. You show us what we want to see from the brand. Is every single one of these games going to hit? Probably not. Um, I just want us to remember that like, even if they don't, this is how we want every show from them to be like going forward. We, We want... 75% 75% Xbox games. We want a little bit of intrigue going into it. I was I was really happy with this showing. I just saw Marco on mute. I was about to throw it to him. I'm not sure if I'm able to. No, 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 you are. Okay. My chair was making noises and I didn't want my mic picking up on it. Um but yeah, take it away. So this is a very good uh showcase. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've always been optimistic that this despite the most trying times of xbox the dominoes are were just always still going up and here they are they just said here's our dominoes guys look at them they're all gonna fall one day some of them are supposedly falling next year a good amount of dominoes coming next year some of these dominoes we didn't get gameplay for necessarily that's that's okay but it was definitely a fun show just from the first party reveals and even some of the cool third party stuff even though the one I'm probably one of the ones I'm probably the most excited for was leaked days before with the Persona 3 uh, reload. That's a bummer. That is a bit of a bummer. It's also a bigger bummer that like they're not also fully porting the best version of that game also. That's not what they're working with. Uh, which is another bummer. But Besides the point, uh, I definitely the two games I look at the most from this uh, presentation are Clockwork Revolution and what was the other one? South something. 
South of Midnight. South of Midnight, and yes. I, I two games. I'm just like I. I this is it gives me uh, at the time the vibes I was getting from Redfall. It's like you can Xbox can try and sell me on how cool these things may or may not be, but these are these will do nothing until you I got you play. got Redfall vibes from both of those two. I mean, when Redfall was announced, it wasn't like. 57 on wait 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 wait. red call red redfall in the sensor it's like i have no idea what kind of game this is going to be from this trailer it does nothing for me because of clockwork revolution there wasn't any gameplay yeah there was was there oh my god so are so peter are you now doubting whether there was gameplay there no, I know there was gameplay. I want to know what the fuck he's talking about. The two just... the two that stand out to me, three that stand out to me as like no real gameplay, even though it was an engine, are South of Midnight, Fable, and Hellblade 2. Our Clockwork Revolution had tons of gameplay. Okay, I have it right here. I mean, at the end of the day, the, like there isn't there's only one outside of the Persona 3 stuff. The whole presentation is like, wow, Xbox is doing really cool stuff. But there's only one game from this presentation where I'm thinking, man, do I really want to play that game? That is Starfield? Is that not for you? It is Starfield, of course. Okay. Starfield looks incredible. That's a conversation in and of itself. Yeah, we'll, and we'll get to that very soon here. But there, there's a few more things I want to touch on before then. I have a decent amount that I am actually quite excited for i think um i've heard varying opinions on the avowed reveal but i have enough faith in obsidian that it's like yeah it looks like their take on elder Scrolls, so i'm in um i don't really need to question it too much uh i thought the outer worlds was a game that like graphically looked like shit and is still a fun game i think avowed doesn't look the best graphically and I think I'm going to get over it. Clockwork Revolution. Yes, it looks like Bioshock Infinite. We know it looks like Bioshock Infinite. I made the mistake of when I rewatched the trailer on YouTube, I looked at the YouTube comments and literally every single fucking comment said, this gives me Bioshock vibes. It's like, thank God, genius. Thank you for your insight. You're so original. Um, that being said, I thought that game looked really cool. Um, I keep thinking about Clockwork Revolution, dude. Really? Thinking about it. Oh my god. Oh, Mark, it's my. It's it's. We'll we'll be hearing about it more. It's, I I want to hear you guys talk about this because I look at this game and I was just like, okay, seeing it next. What's next? Mark, it's in my top three of the show. Oh my gosh! Wow. Of the entire of the entire A three season this year, I thought it looked fantastic. I mean, I thought it, I thought like like everyone, a lot of like a lot of other people. I thought it was like, oh, that's Bioshock Infinite. That game was pretty whatever. Um, I think it has a whole lot of potential, and I'm I'm taking in just like a little bit of knowledge I have of in in Exile as well, where it's a different type of game for them. It does look like Bioshock Infinite. Now, I I like Bioshock Infinite personally. I'm not sure if I would like it on a replay. I feel like it's the type of game that the type of game that probably doesn't age amazingly but i still did like it now the thing that is exciting to me here 
is that In Exile is an RPG studio, and they are saying, like, this is an RPG. And in the trailer, it's like, your actions will affect how this society is, and it shows good society and bad society, and I hope there's a few things in between. It seems like it's, like, relatively contained. The mechanics that they showed within the trailer seemed exciting of playing with time while also being a first-person shooter, that's the type of thing that like we'll we'll have to really see it in action to know whether they like pull that off. But I I think there's a lot of potential here. It seems like a really exciting game. Um, and one thing I am still appreciative of Xbox for, and they've been on this route for a a couple years now. And like, Hi-Fi Rush and Pentiment are examples of this where they may not get the entire industry saying that one of their games is a 10 out of 10, but there might be like a section of people that is like, yo, that game, that game's amazing because it was made for me and it's weird in my ways. Um, it looks like they're still kind of holding on to that energy. And I like it because I like a lot of these weird games. Clockwork Revolution could have wide appeal or it could be something that is like very specifically for me and i'm i'm fine with either of those uh mark i do agree with you on south of midnight of like yeah they didn't really show enough i was critical of the fact that like the main character she was dressed in a more contemporary way compared to everything going on that's not the type of style i typically like that being said awesome title cool style to the trailer um in engine so we know that like that is what the game intends to look like so it's not a full-on cg trailer uh wait and see wait and see on south of midnight but but peter i mean if you want to gush about the title anymore you can i mean god when we were watching it together and it's that south of midnight i just got goosebumps all over my body and i kept saying the name out loud during the show just to hear it again because it's like god damn that's such a good fucking title uh mark mm-hmm. any excitement for metaphor refantasia i'm curious what it's gonna be like it seems like just persona but they splashed more shin megami tensei dna in there i don't know how i feel about that the game's going cool. to end, and all of the letters are going to reorganize, and it's going to say Shin Megami Tensei 6, and they're going to be like, we got all the fucking Persona losers in, you're back, you're into the main franchise. People, <laughs> <we got you." laughs> that would be terrible. It's not the same game at all. The SMT games, Peter, very, very unforgiving. I just don't think... They'd be shooting themselves in the foot if they wanted to try that. Uh, I'm not like I'm not super excited for it. I'm more excited for Persona 3 Reload than I am this metaphor game. Um, what I was. Persona I, Fire Emblem. What's that? What about the Persona Fire Emblem game? I'm. I just don't want to play more Persona Five. I'm pretty done at this point. But That's it's totally like, goddamn, it's a tactics game, but it's Chibi also, and I don't like Chibi. So that's another thing that pushes me away. And like, unless if this is an amazing tactics game, I'm probably not going to play because I've also got Tactics Ogre Reborn still on my backlog, and I would rather play that than a Persona Five tactics game. I will say, Microsoft, the new Microsoft Flight Simulator, with some of those extra game modes, it sounded kind of cool. Like that's a 
if my PC can run it, I would definitely love to check that out on Game Pass whenever that drops. Now, I agree that it sounded cool. I'm fully aware it's like not for me, but that that was one of those things where we were sitting watching the trailer and it's like, well, we do have to like show some respect to this. Uh-huh. <laughs> it it seemed like fun. A lot of those things, it's like you're not just flying around, but you got shit to do. You got to save people from fires. You got to transport gigantic large cargo ship and so i'm like all this i could be down for that if it was like the the last one people were like going crazy about was just like you just have to fly the plane you get to see cool places and that's that's fun that's not enough to grab me but got some cool game modes in there if they had co-op like you were also trying to do that competing with friends and i'm trying to mess them up while i'm flying around that would be so much fun i would absolutely love to do something like that so that that sounds like a very cool Game Pass game. I do have to call out the negative, of course, as we established. It's my brand here. I think the two worst showings by far were Fable and Hellblade 2. Um, I think Hellblade 2 was worse than Fable, actually, because Fable at least like shows some of the character of the game. But way to have like the voice actors come on of Hellblade 2 and be like, Last time we showed you some cinematic gameplay, but now we're going to get into like something different. And it was like this totally nonsensical cutscene that went on way too long and still didn't show us anything about the game. What the fuck was that? Unless if that is gameplay and it's like a quantic dream kind of thing where it is back and forth of controlling your character in third person uh, to very interactive cutscene moments. Not, not that that trailer gave us any reason to think we were interacting with that scene. I, I, I don't think we were interacting with that scene. I don't think so either. Just trying to give them credit here, you know, the possibilities. But that's like Hellblade 2 is not something I'm very interested from how they're showing it. I played the first one. It was kind of neat. It wasn't like, I need to try this again. Kind of neat, though. It wasn't... Uh, I don't know how much more there was there. I'm curious to see if people are going to say, oh, they did know what they were talking about. There was a reason to go further on this. Um, locking Joe into a zero in Fantasy Critic. I was I was sweating bullets during this trailer to make sure it came out in 2024. <laughs> um, payday 3, big game pass get. Looks like total shit. Fans of the series are going to love it. Um, Mark, have you ever played Payday? Oh, I do. I have a group of friends, and it's like one of our staple games. Whenever we get really? together, Team Fortress 2 and Payday 2. Uh, dude, I, I think Payday's so bad. I, I really think it's like a horrible game, <laughs> but it's, I don't know. People it's love not it. My, it's not my favorite. I think it is fun kind of coordinating through the heists with everybody. Somebody goes down, everything kind of changes. And hearing people talk about how deep a lot of the, the maps go, like there's a lot of X creative ways you can go about completing the level if you are are doing things well enough but it is just so easy for things to fall through the cracks of your fingers that i know i would never really get to see that any of those cool things unless if i was just being dragged through it by someone who is significantly better than me but it's a, it's a fun game to hear about in my experience before starfield I think the last thing I want to call out personally is uh, what a great City Skylines 2 trailer. Inspirational. That music, I hope it'll never be on Spotify or something, but if it was, my God. 
If I want to feel inspired and zen, like in Zen at the same time, I would play that fucking song. It felt like ver- a very diet version, not the whole trailer, but like that music specifically felt like a very diet version of de- of the Tetris effects feeling I got. Di- diet, indeed. Um, yes, I agree. I agree. Uh, anyone else want to call any other like pre-Starfield things out as being interesting? Thirty-three Immortals could be cool. The fact that it is you playing alongside thirty-two other people in a top-down dungeon—I don't know how fun that could be, but I'm curious to hear more about it because it, it could be cool if it's just like it's Diablo, but you have to play with thirty-three people because that's how crazy it gets. I wasn't crazy on the art style, but when it revealed like thirty-three player co-op, it was just like okay, like it's a it's a point of respect like that's totally ridiculous mm-hmm. but now you you at least have my attention of i want to see how this works will i play the game i don't know but i want to see the result of it anything else pre Starfield, going once going twice starfield guys I, the Tears of the Kingdom Killer. <laughs> it it might be the Tears of the Kingdom Killer. I, I don't think enough people are talking about how good that trailer was that was included in the main showcase before the Starfield Direct. I thought that trailer was awesome. Um, And then we get 45 minutes of deep dive gameplay of Todd Howard and the team showing, like, you thought we were dead but here we are, and mm-hmm. this is this is the one, guys. the The way they showed this off, I don't think any game has ever been shown off better than this. And I'm now fully convinced. Like, I'm convinced that Starfield is going to kill Tears of the Kingdom. We'll see. But that's how they have me feeling. Like I, I'll, I'll be surprised if this is not my game of the year after this showing. I, I don't know how I'm gonna feel about it. I'm definitely looking forward to it more than anything else right now. Uh, just because so many of the things they listed in this trailer are just too good to be true. Whether it is the thousand planets the very customizable ships to the very customizable crew for all the people throughout this entire game that you're going to be able to be on your crew and all the different backgrounds the background mechanic sounds so very interesting which is i mean one of the things i loved about going back to skyrim is one of the mods it's all about an alter like this alternate start kind of thing like your background is totally different changes how you start and this isn't exactly like that, but I wouldn't be surprised that there was some influence there because it's one of the most downloaded mods in all of Skyrim. Um, but there's just so much there. So much there for what I want out of a sandbox RPG. And I've been thinking about comparing the idea the of like what Bethesda sandboxes are to something like Tears of the Kingdom specifically because I feel like that's where Tears of the Kingdom shined the most as a sandbox open world game versus any other label you could possibly put on the game because there's plenty you could. And well, being able to craft a bunch of stuff is kind of cool, but just kind of getting lost in this world with a character you create and just seeing and bumping into all these things by accident. 
in in a world that you're kind of putting together i think just sounds way more interesting so long as it actually sticks the landing because like the last time todd howard came on stage and sold me on a game that i thought could be very good turned out the game was not very good so this... well are, are you talking 76 76 i thought sounded you, very cool you were 76 sold? made it seem like i could like achieve anything in life with how fucking well i've gone back and rewatched his 76 pitch like his 20 minute in-person presentation and it's still incredible well my my takeaway from the 76 thing the whole time was like it's not what i want but i'm willing to hear them um mark and i aren't fallout fans so we could be sold on anything with the fallout name on it because we're not it, it sounded more like a survival game than anything and i was at the time living with a bunch of people where we were also playing survival games we thought fallout 76 was going to be the next big thing for us and we were just going to be hopping on servers getting the nuke codes and threatening everybody in the server and doing whatever nuke and all the right stuff but we wouldn't we wouldn't have been able to do that if we tried unfortunately and just the game didn't run well the game just wasn't what we wanted it to be but man they sold me on it like it was going to be a crazy cool new uh survival game i think the best thing about starfield is that they're they're actually showing examples of this now and they had been kind of alluding to it in some of the lead up of there's been this energy around bethesda game studios of like new vegas is so beloved they didn't make it Skyrim, also beloved, not the best RPG. Fallout 4 goes further down that not being an RPG route, and people don't think as highly of it. So there's been this energy of, like, people are ruling out Bethesda Game Studios and making a great RPG. And Starfield is kind of, like, their answer. Like, oh, no, we can do this. We can still do this. We're going to use buzzwords like Skyrim and space, but actually it's going to be a combination of the things you love from our games. You're going to get some of the fun conversational elements of Oblivion. You're going to get some of the Skyrim elements of going to different areas and fighting and finding cool things there. You're going to get backgrounds, something that I don't think has been in the game since Morrowind from them. Um their skill tree system seems a little more RPG like, like you're actually going to kind of have to pick some specialties and be stuck in those specialties for the game because you have made some decisions. Um, I'm hearing all the right things from them. I don't think like, I guess I want to temper myself a little bit because I'm so hot on it right now that like, it is setting myself up for disappointment. But I don't know, man. It it really it really seems like they found their way again and they're ready to they they're ready to just sit back and watch the world like catch on fire as people enjoy this game. Mm-hmm. And I love the confidence of it. I only worry that Maybe it's going to be buggy at launch, but I don't think I don't think it's going to be unplayable by any means at launch. So I'm not worried about that. I'm worried that maybe the characters are going to be like really dry and not 
fun to be hanging out around, which might not be the most enjoyable. But the, even despite those two things, I think there's still more in that game. Like they're promising more aspects, like a really deep RPG with so many places to kind of go. If unless if like there are a thousand planets, but only like forty of them actually have like a city on them, which the presentation made it sound like that is not going to be the case. If if we're getting past that, and there really are hundreds of exciting planets to go on with, like at the very least, an interesting outpost on it. I would take I an interesting fine. outpost. I would I, I, take. I would take it. I, I don't think there's going to be forty cities. In fact, I'm I'm going to tell you right now, you can rule that out. Um, we'll see. But Peter, you've been pretty quiet during this. Well, what were your thoughts on the presentation? I don't know if you'll you'll end up being sold on playing the game or not, but I'm going to try it. I'm definitely gonna when when Starfield comes out. I'm going to renew my Game Pass subscription. I've never played a Bethesda game before. I want this to be my first one. And I did have a similar awe that I had when Todd was telling me about Fallout 4 and Fallout 76. Except this time, I feel like they made a point to include the entire dev team. And I feel like with the backing of Xbox and Microsoft and just the constant money funnel... This time, they're going to be able to really back up what they say, especially with all the delays this game has gotten. I... I just want... I want to experience this game. I want to believe the hype. I want to feel like I can be whatever kind of space adventurer I want to be. I want to be... I want to be a pirate. I want to just board a bunch of other ships take what I want I want to be a scoundrel I want to just you know fly through space and just be a prominent pirate and the idea that I could I could just do that and explore wherever I want I want to find a unique planet and just spend hours there just exploring it fully before I do anything else and just discovering whatever mysteries like lie in store I want to really feel I want to get that Bethesda feeling that so many have felt for decades now and I'm kind of in. I'm kind of tempted to just rewatch the Starfield Direct after we get off of here, just to absorb it again. I need to rewatch it. I haven't yet because it is a big commitment. Forty-five minutes is a lot, but um, I definitely need to rewatch. I, I not after we get off this recording because I'm going to be going to sleep. But um, I I want to remember this as well as I can. I want to I want to embrace the hype cycle here. As a big fan of their games, they have a new one coming out and they just dropped a banger of a presentation. And you know what? I want to be a hype weirdo. I want to be super positive about it. Um and it's it's such a long presentation that I I like struggle to even point out a lot of ind- individual things. And ironically, there's there's the one woman in it who is like the wacky woman who is doing all the all the wacky things, which is not exactly any of our brands. <laughs> and yet it worked because that's like the main thing I remember from this presentation of like, oh yes. Sandwich lady? 
Yeah, I that... was so I did not like Owen will attest. I did not find her funny at all. I was just like, all right, come on, I get it. It's please stop. That there was sandwich. There was the sandwich stuff. There was like the platypus ship and the transformer and like I did like that. Well, when I when I think about the presentation, those are like the first images in my head, which I just find so funny because like again, it's not really my sense of humor. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people enjoyed it, uh, but it, it's it's just funny that it's the number one thing I think about, even though it was probably, like, debatably my least favorite part. Not fully. I mean, I, I thought, like, the Transformer ship was kind of cool. My brain just goes to the one background prick that you're, like, a hero, and then you get the one follower who is voiced by a character from Oblivion that would follow you around because he was also your... The adoring fan. fan. Yeah, the, the adoring, adoring fan. fan. And that like that's the perfect type of fan service moment. Um they have a lot of little details in this presentation that kind of show it shows a lot of learning of like we know you liked this part of that old game and we brought that here and we know that you didn't like this part and we're not we're not talking about that part so ideally it's not there mm-hmm. um there was even what i think is a little oblivion nod of they talk about how like oh people around you have like their own lives and their own schedules and they'll even have conversations and you can hear a conversation for like five seconds and it's a guy like talking about like the the fate of the city they're in and then the other dude is just like i really need a coffee and that was a big thing in oblivion of like these characters would just have these conversations but it wouldn't actually sound like they were talking to each other at all and that made it kind of funny and them sort of intentionally showing something like that it's like ah it's like a little oblivion reference there i i very much enjoyed it my number one game of all time. Anything else we want to call out from this direct? We've been going Just for a while. Solid, solid work from Xbox. You want to instill faith in your platform? This is how you fucking do it. And then with the news of the FTC base, the FTC basically forcing the results of the Activision deal to be announced in the next couple weeks. That's finally going to be coming to an end. Because Microsoft tried to close on the deal this week, and the FTC said the FTC tried to like, countersue for it. So now that's finally going to be coming to the end at the end of this month. Thank fucking God. Just the Xbox brand seems like they find after flailing for months and months, just swerving off the road. I what the fuck are we gonna do? It seems like they're finally back on track, and we now know the next few years. At least the rest of 2023, 2024, and seemingly 2025, we know what first party is going to roughly come out and what to expect. We have a real roadmap. We have a path. We're now seeing all the games they've announced, and it just feels like I now have something to actually hold on to. And it just, thank God. And in, like in the matter of a month, PlayStation and Xbox have now swapped places where no one knows anything PlayStation is doing, and it's gone from, oh boy, I wonder what it's going to be, to, no, really, what the fuck are you doing? And now everyone's like, oh, Xbox, we can't wait to play all these games. Go Team Green. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Uh, 
my final thought that I want to share on this is I want everyone to remember that Redfall never looked good. It only ever had the benefit of the doubt because it was what we believed to be a good developer. Never looked good. Now, there are some games that are still up in the air here, but I do not think almost any of them have the Redfall stink on it. I don't, I can't say for sure. Um, I mean, I'm surprised that you guys were so in love with Clockwork Revolution, the game that I thought looked pretty whatever. It looks so good. About is something in a situation where like, I, I trust it because it is the developer. Uh, it is Obsidian and I think they will do something very cool there. Uh, the CG trailers were CG trailers. There were no CG trailers. What was South of Midnight? South of Midnight was in-game footage. The game is going to look like that. Okay. But it wasn't gameplay. That's what I'm getting. No, that's fair. That's fair. But, like, I want... Compare the Redfall announcement trailer to the South of Midnight announcement trailer. One is exceptionally better than the other. and has way more personality and charm. I agree. I, I think I thought... the Redfall announcement trailer is, is horrible. I think it's one of the worst trailers I've ever seen. I, if, I don't think... It was a terrible trailer, but then once we saw gameplay, and then we're like, oh, well, this, I I guess this is what this kind of game is, and it doesn't look very interesting. The Redfall trailer is, I believe, over five minutes long, and I dare you to pull it up on YouTube and listen at, or watch at standard speed and see how far you get through it. Well, like, even then, from what I remember of it, I remember being like, oh, the world of this trailer seems kind of cool. I wouldn't mind playing a game in this world. And I trust Arcane. And on those merits, that is where I would judge that. If I watch it again, maybe it'll be like, oh, maybe the dialogue isn't what I would want it to be or not. I don't know. But I, I do think for an announcement trailer for Redfall, I, I thought that was... I remember explicitly being, this game could be cool, we just don't know what it is yet. And I was being I was upset with it because it was the one more thing. It was a total CG trailer. But I, I wasn't like completely turned off by it. There's a couple of games in here, except the midnight. I'm curious what it's gonna be. I know nothing about it. Clockwork Revolution doesn't do anything for me. Um but Starfield does everything for me. And there are a couple cool things sprinkled in there between these Xbox announcements. Should South we do of Midnight? Just want to say it again. South of Midnight. What a good name. We need a tier list one day of best names for games. Persona My 3 God. Reload. Also a good name, Peter, right? No, it's not. It ah. is not a good name. They got guns in that game, so they had to have reload. Because back. Should we uh, rattle off our top three from from everything? From all of the, uh, sure. the, the E3 season? Who wants to start? I'm, I'm who wants to? Good. Who wants to give a number three? I'm not. I'm not sure if these are distinctly ranked or not from anyone. I'm but. giving my number three here, and this is one I'm still iffy on. But from what we saw, it seemed like a very cool game. But if the story's bad, I probably won't get it when it releases on December seventh. Avatar: Frontiers of Pandora could be a very cool. Wow! Game. From someone who's not played a Far Cry game, and people saying, "Oh, this looks like." Far Cry on Pandora. That's like, well, okay, that's 
maybe going to be stale to people who haven't played it, but the game looks the game environment in the game looks really beautiful. The characters in the game leave a bit to be desired because you can't help but compare them to the models from the movie, which are just some of the best looking CG you'll ever see. The games aren't going to obviously be the same, but game could be cool. I, I wouldn't mind getting lost in that world if the open world is actually a cool world to be in, but that's my number three. Peter? My number three is a game I specifically didn't mention yet. My number three is Prince of Persia, The Lost Crown. Wow. It's a sweet looking Metroidvania. I want more Metroidvanias in my life that aren't Hollow Knight. It just, I respect to see a franchise like Prince of Persia go this route. I don't think they've done a Metroidvania before. It, it's a game from Ubisoft. I'm actually excited. It's like, not excited, but like looking, I'm very interested in a Ubisoft game. Both showings, both at Summer Games Fest and at the Ubisoft show, it just looks like a solid game. I respect that they're really bringing back Prince of Persia. I was surprised that they are. And it just... I'm going to play it. It looks really good. Unless it has bad reviews. And it's like a 72 on Metacritic. Then I won't play it. And I'll feel lied to again. Like another fucking... Uh, what was it called? Fox. Benedict Fox. Benedict, yeah, Benedict Fox. Uh, yes. Um, My number three... Uh, my, my list is going to be Xbox heavy. My number three is Avowed. Obsidian is a developer I like very much. They're... I mean, they've done fantasy before because they've done Pillars of Eternity. I believe Avowed is in that same universe, but they haven't done the, like, their version of the Elder Scrolls. Um, and I bet you they don't want it to be sold that way, but I, I'm pretty sure there's nothing they can do to avoid that. I'm willing to see what they do here. I think it looks fun. I liked that we got to see a, a decent amount of gameplay in their trailer. Uh, so I'm looking forward to Avout. Mark, your number two. My number two was the first game they showed off at the days or the day of the dev presentation. It's called Beastie Ball. Did you guys see Beastie Ball at all? I know who develops it. I didn't see it, though. You know my answer. Don't I don't even know what day of the dev is. Peter. It happens every year. Tim Schafer and his indie game show right after Summer Games Fest. I respect you, Tim, but I, I indies aren't for me. It, it's from the developers of Geekery, and there's another game I know they've made that is on people's radar, but I do not remember the other game that they've made. Oh, Eastward, I think is what it was. No, I don't think they made that. No, it's Wandersong. It's Wandersong. That's the name of the game. I've never heard of that game. Yeah. I, I definitely heard of the name. I couldn't tell you what it is. But uh, the game is ultimately what if Pokemon was a sports game and you have to do monster collecting to put your team together and the two different monsters that you have have like kind of build affinity with each other. Sometimes they can be friends. Sometimes they can be rivals. And that dynamic is going to change how they're going to play together. But it's all about kind of raising them and different teams together to be good at the sport game. And it seemed like it has a lot of really cool social elements built into it that I think could be a very cool idea. And I trust this developer to kind of deliver something on it. And on top of it, uh, Lena Raiden is also composing for it. So I really like her music too. So when the game's also sounding interesting, and I know the soundtrack it's going to deliver, that there's a little special something for me. So this is why it's my number two. Peter? 
My number two is Clockwork Revolution. Just looks like a solid new IP from Xbox. Admittedly, I am a... There's not enough of it out there. I am always advocating for, especially after becoming an, after Arcane. I we need more steampunk. Steampunk is a fucking kick-ass theme. We don't have nearly enough of it. Whenever I see steampunk, my ears immediately perk up. It's such a cool, fucking. It's just it's rad as shit. The game looks awesome. It was a great trailer. And Exile is also a dev. I don't know anything. I I know they make Wasteland, but I've never played. So there's also, there is this interest and curiosity and excitement of a developer I don't know what to expect from. That is my number two. My number two is also Clockwork Revolution. And this entire time I was thinking, like, at least my point will be different from Peter's, but you just stole it at the end. Yep. Which is, like, there's objectively a lot of intrigue here of this dev has been successful with Wasteland, smaller scale, uh, like, uh, not triple A games, and now it looks like they're taking the jump into being like triple A dev. We we know the name in Exile as one of the Xbox teams. I'm incredibly interested to see if they pull it off. Uh, and I just think it looks like a lot of fun. That's my number two, Mark. Number one, our, our number think, one might be a sweep here. I I think so. Peter is your number one. What I think it is. Yep. Yeah, we got some Starfield. It's, How could it not be? Good old-fashioned, like, back in the days of of E3 best of show, there would typically be one that stands out, and this is a good old-fashioned example of that. Uh, uh, every Everyone would have their sticker on the Star booth. Uh, oh, my God. The Starfield booth back mm-hmm. in the day. Just wonderful. Oh, we just oh, talked Jeff a ton really about it. To do boots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did. Um, all right. Those are our thoughts on Summer Games Fest. It's been another fun episode of BNY Gaming Podcast, and we'll see you all in another two weeks. Bye. Goodbye, everybody. Mm-hmm.